There are doors, doors, doors everywhere, and all of them locked. Suddenly, I saw something moving between two yew trees. A dim white figure. The Threshold Paranormal Podcast starts. Thanks for joining us. This is episode seven. Episode seven? Yeah. Episode seven. seven of the Threshold Paranormal Podcast. We have our third guest with us today. We've had so we had Jay was our first guest. Joe. He was our Bigfoot guy. We've had uh, my friend Chris Chomzak was our second guest. He was our ghost guy. So naturally, we have Thomas Wortman joining us, and he is our UFO expert. It's gonna get it's gonna get crazy. Yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> space, space, space. space. Um, so <laughs> this is a little bit about Thomas. So I actually just met Thomas. I guess two weeks ago, I was doing some research for. Um, I'm in, I'm in graduate school right now, and uh, this article came out from the New York Times where they said that UFO sightings have increased like 800%. So I was like doing some research on that, and I wanted to reach out to somebody who knew a little bit more than I did. Well, a lot more than I did. <laughs> and so naturally, I reached out to Thomas, and uh, I was trying to get a comment from him, and our 20-minute conversation conversation turned into like an hour-and-a-half conversation, and it was a so, very interesting conversation. It was like, it was a lot. I, I was listening. And I'm like this this guy knows everything <laughs> yeah. about UFOs. You are an impressive man. Yeah. yeah. But just a little bit about Thomas. He is the uh, Ohio State Director for MUFON. He was a member of the Cleveland UF UFOlogy Project. I, I googled you, Tom. <laughs> uh, for 2000. So if any of these are incorrect, you have, to, you have this is your. This is your opportunity. Uh, part of the Cleveland UFOlogy Project from 2008 to 2018. Uh, you also joined MUFON in 2008, um, where you're now the Ohio State Director. You've investigated over 300 cases in Ohio and 230 investigations in Canada, the UK, and Puerto Rico. You've been on TV shows, documentaries, short films, and hosted the UF Odyssey. That's UFO Odyssey podcast. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> the power of yeah, Google. I think, I think I got you in trouble that night, too. We were on the phone so long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to be that zoomed in up there. We are incredibly focused. We are very zoomed in. <laughs> we are incredibly focused up there. Camera's slight, on the fritz already. Slight, yeah, slight camera delay. We'll, uh, we'll just put picture over that part. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> there we go. There we are. All right. It wouldn't be our podcast unless there was some kind of major technical, technical glitch yeah. right in the right in the beginning. It's um, always right at the start. Too. So I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks, Tom. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Has anything uh, just staying at home a lot, doing research? You know, anything interesting happened in the last couple of weeks that we need to know well, about? Different ones are claiming, you know, hey, disclosures, you know, right around the corner. Well, I remember reading an article by. Um, some old UFO researchers, Stanton Friedman, back in the 1960s, that thought disclosure was around the corner in the 1960s. So I think we're still going to be waiting a little while yet. So it's always but, just you know, a couple years seeing, away. Yeah, exactly. But I am seeing, you know, a little step forward and saying at least, hey, we've got videos. We don't know what they are. They're not saying they didn't eventually identify the videos. In other words, I'm talking about the Navy, the Navy and different branches of the military. But they are you know, kind of making some inroads there saying, hey, our pilots are seeing some stuff. 
the videos are actual videos. Some of them, they don't know what they are. Some of them, they do. Most likely, they're just not saying it. But in the past, I mean, they basically would have covered a lot of that stuff up and just kind of blown it away. So that, that's what but I've now noticed. now you've got pilots coming forward. Yeah, that's what I've noticed, too. Like in, in a bunch of the UFO reports, it just seems like now. for it, this, this seems like a big change that the, the, to, for the government to openly acknowledge something like that just seems it, – it's, it's just weird. It's something that I, I've never seen in reports. I mean, it's a, it seems like it's a very – rare thing you know so that to oh, me exactly is, I, mean, I can understand why people are have the idea that the disclosure is imminent you know, or, or some some kind of some kind of some news is on the way with it i can understand why people had that have that mentality about it because that that's kind of yeah. the almost the vibe i get from it man is that exactly i mean in the 1960s they basically said oh, you saw venus oh, satellite <laughs> yeah uh, swamp gas you know now they're saying, hey, wait a minute, this was taken with a cell phone in the back of an F-18. Uh, and we're working on trying to figure out what it is, you know. It's, it's it, it, it's, to me, it's, you know, you, you, we've spent all these years, you know, with the, the hope of disclosure. And I, I mean, I don't know, for me at least, even if the government were to finally kind of come out with it and say something, to me, there there's like, there's two options really as to how like it could plant, you know, kind of pan out. Is it, do they know a lot about, you know, uh, UFOs and extraterrestrials? Do they, are they fairly knowledgeable in the area or are they just as left in the, in the dark as us? Are they just as clueless as we are? And they're just kind of giving up the, the game of trying to hide it, which to me, yeah. both, both options would seem, kind of equally eerie is, you know, that they've been hiding right. a bunch of info or they don't have any info. Yeah. And both are plausible. Uh, but it, it, when you hear somebody like uh, commander Fravor, who was flying an F 18 that attempted to intercept, and I'm going to say attempted to intercept yeah. what they called a tic tac. And he said, this thing takes off and leaves him in a cloud of dust, like the lone ranger, in Ohio silver away. And he goes, our fastest plane, the SR-71, he says, can't move that quick. And, and, and just goes, the maneuvers it was making. I don't know what making. it was, but I wanted to fly it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the maneuvers, like the, the way they said it lost some crazy amount of altitude to where it went, you know, you know, X amount of feet in the air to right over the water surface, like, instantaneously. Yeah, 80,000 feet. On one, one, one of them said 80,000 feet to sea level. That's insane. In about as, cla as fast as you can clap your hands. That's insane. Another one said, well, they, they corrected that, and they said, well, no, it wasn't 80,000 feet. It was only like 24,000 feet. Still, 24,000 feet at the clap of your hands. It's still fast. Yeah, that's a know. heck of a drop. Now, now in, oh, yeah. in your opinion, with you know, since we're on the whole uh, you know, Fravor case thing, um, in your opinion, is there any, any way you can see around it that um, this could be not, you know, uh, alien in origin, this could be um, another country's tech, like, you know, China, Russia, because I know that the we're, we're on the, you know, cutting edge of like drone technology and unmanned craft right now. We're, we're that seems to be a big focus militarily is to not risk the lives of our troops to to, you know, use drones. So you couldn't you couldn't have a person in that in that uh in that object and, and do those kind of maneuvers and have them survive it. It's, you know, just wouldn't it, that, that kind of accelerate rapid yeah. deceleration would kill someone. 
But uh, do you think it's possible that what is being captured could be the the quote unquote drone technology of another country, or do you lean it more towards the, the extraterrestrial? Yeah, when you look at just the G forces behind it, an F eighteen can take about I think as they said seventeen Gs. Now, if you're going from twenty four thousand feet to sea level in like one sec, less than one second, you're pulling probably four hundred Gs. Now, I don't think China, I don't think the other countries have the technology to develop anything that can pull 400 Gs and get away with it. And not only that. Because it would damage the craft too, right? It would damage the craft, but also it may be transmedium, which means it can go below below water at high rates of speed. And and that's crazy because in the Fravor case, (coughs) excuse me, don't they mention that the the, the Tic Tac craft was seen? doing that yeah when they said he observed initially he saw a disturbance on the water which he didn't know whether something had sunk into the water or something was coming out of the water he almost had the impression initially that maybe it's you know like a, a 737 jet went down and it just kind of sunk below the water but then the stir- he sees above the disturbance the tic-tac and he goes down to do his intercept and that's when it appeared to almost observe him. So as he's coming down at a big spiral, it mirrors his spiral going the other way, you know, kind of like going around the opposite side of the circle. It, and it, that's when he tried to say, okay, you know, what's the quickest <laughs> way between two points? It's a straight line. So I'm going to cut across the circle and cut it off. And that's when it left him. Cause th- but I, he I remember him. He, saw he was stri- saying that it was like from how it was flying, it was default. It was flying defensively. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it was whatever, whatever was manning that craft, new defensive line, new to how how to keep its distance and how to, uh, you know, adjust to the situation. That's right. And and when you think about a drone technology, well, if another company was develop a country was developing something, they would have to have a drone technology so they could detect him, they could pick out his movements. And then basically create a defensive, like you say, plan around his motions on her. That's that's a lot of technology, yeah. which I don't think they have. That, yeah, that, to, to have that. something like that. And, and then another thing, for to keep something that advanced, that secretive, especially, you know, for the just, you know, other countries are constantly trying to infiltrate and get everyone else's secrets and stuff. So I think that that's for another country to keep something of that magnitude away from the United States. I, I just don't see it happening. That's why, to me, yeah. I, I definitely lean extraterrestrial. And the whole event, I mean, with the the open acknowledgement uh, on the on the government's part is just yeah. It, it all kind of goes back to when uh, I believe it was Clinton when he kind of came out with the whole Area Fifty One thing when he was the first president to actually I think acknowledge the existence of that base out there right. and. You know, even that was a was a big thing. But now this this is to me this is a whole nother level to it. This is a whole yeah. de- a whole nother depth to the conversation. Exactly, and some of the stuff may inter maybe intermixed with it may have explanations. Like some of the stuff I've really been researching about some of the other later cases uh, associated with the Navy, like going back to like 2019. You've got some stuff in there which is unusual. I mean some of the things they're seeing. But on the other hand, 
they may be seeing known things and maybe I guess best word is like a little bit of mass hysteria. Yeah. They're aware that something is maybe out there. I, I, and now, even though they're experienced, they're trained and maybe grabbing at some things saying, oh, wait, that's a UFO. Yeah. And not really taking their time and getting a deep breath saying, what are we really looking at? You know? Well, I don't know if you've heard of the theory. There's, <clears throat> it's kind of like a theory that's been bounced around a little bit. Is that, you know, if you look, um, you know, definitely after, you know, World War II and after we started kind of the nuclear testing, you know, is when sci-fi movies kind of really took off. Well, there's this whole little kind of, I guess, camp of thought of that, you know, you, we've, you know, you have like the men in black movies, independence day movie, you have all these movies that are, they, there's this kind of idea that they are kind of numbing us to the idea of extraterrestrials. It's a slow buildup. Like they're getting in our heads with it or something like that because they're trying to prevent the mass hysteria. But in my opinion, if you, if the government were to openly admit what, what is most likely out there, what is almost definitely out there, you, you are going to have m- many people in the country on Earth really not be okay with it and really be scared, g- genuinely scared. Without a doubt, because it, it, I've been in a number of UFO meetings. I mean, here you have people who are definitely firm believers and extraterrestrials, everything, and they say, oh, I could accept uh, that, you know, if, there, if there's aliens coming here. I said, Okay, now let me pause you. I'm, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. What if you found out that um, Uncle Elmer, who ran away 10 years ago, didn't really run away, he was abducted? And what if you found out that not only he's abducted, but they were performing experiments on him and basically dissecting him? Could you accept that? Yeah. And the government, let's say, for example, has known about it for years. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Well, I said, no, you have to look at that side of the coin, too. When you say let all the information out, who knows what's going on? Yeah, that we we don't know we 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 really don't know the depth of the information that they have. So, to I mean there there's there's all, there's kind of three ways it could go. It could be very very mild. It could be next to nothing, or it could be it could be intense. It could be it could be exactly. scary, and that's that's to me is. I, I for, for my own comfort, I would like to think that it would be somewhere in that middle ground. I, you know, I want to be pushed a little yeah. bit, but for all we know, I mean, look at the just historic the historic documentation of sightings in the cases of abduction in the way it's all gone. To me, it sounds like, like in my personal opinion, I don't I don't think that they're violent in any way. If if they were violent, we'd we I don't think we'd be here right now. If they, if they intended to harm us. Mm-hmm. So, but I think that the, that the true depth as to what is really going on. And like you said about like, Oh, well, what if we found out that old uncle Elmer was taken away? I, I think that that is likely the case is that they are, they're, they're intrusive to us the same way that we are intrusive to like, uh, other species of primates. Like we go out into the jungle, we dart one, we take it back to the, a laboratory. We take it mm-hmm. to a zoo. We take. I think that, unfortunately, that that's the case. That that's kind of where my mind goes with it. I, I yeah. think that we are the Earth in general is more or less a a study of theirs than anything else. Yeah, I'm pretty much along the same feeling. You may have the whole spectrum out there, but I think 
we may be largely almost like the animals being tagged, you know, let's tag them, let's watch them for whatever purpose on there. And I think that's, that's along that road. Now, now do you think our, our endeavors into, um, like nuclear science, do you think that is what kind of triggered, like peaked their interest here? I I think it it can be a big factor because they may have been here for all we know, like going back to the ancient alien, you know, type of theories and so forth. They may have been here for thousands and thousands of years. Who knows? Maybe they even planted the DNA, which got us rolling, basically. We don't know. I just don't know. Well, uh, sp- but speaking on that ancient thing, there was a question I was going to ask you, and I wasn't sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure you know all about this stuff. You, I'm sure you're familiar with Bob Lazar, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was uh, watching, you know, one of the many things he's a part of. And he talks about how when he worked, I believe it was like the S4 facility, he calls it. He right. um, he talks about us, the, the, the United States, having multiple craft in their quote-unquote collection. And he said that one of those craft, to, to the best of his knowledge, was found at an archaeological site. It wasn't a crash necessarily, like a modern-day crash. It mm-hmm. wasn't a found. It was dug up. And and to me, to me, like I mean, the, the whole UFO crashes and everything else—that's that's crazy. That's weird. That's awesome. But that one line of his, that one, that one really kind of freaked me yeah. out. That that I mean, see, it would jump out at you because it's it's not the comment you normally hear. The comment you normally hear is it crashed. We're let's say we were performing radar experiments back after World War II, high high end radar. And they theorize that that may have what brought down one of the Roswell craft is, you know, here's this super high powered radar that we didn't have before then. They were testing it. And maybe that disrupted something, you know, in the UFO. Uh, there's other theories about, let's say, lightning strikes potentially hitting something like that, bringing it down. But, you know, finding something basically, you know, it's been covered up for millennia. Oh, yeah. That's outside the box. That's yeah. That's that's I, when it to me. That's when it got literally to the realm of that science. It's something you would hear in Stargate. almost yeah, Stargater or Lovecraftian <laughs> kind of of writing. It's it's it it it, it, kind of, it it breaks the mold of the of the normal uh, report, the normal kind of stuff. And yeah. to me, that like Bob Lazar's whole thing to me is to, that that's just more evidence to me. I mean, it, the whole thing of his kind of records being wiped out and him try, try essentially trying to be silenced. And mm-hmm. it, it that that's the scarier part of it to me is how actively they tried to shut him down and how it, it kind of shown in his what in what he was saying that, you know, they would bring, you know, the propulsion engine he was working on or the, the propulsion, whatever you want to call it, that they got from the craft is how the government really did not know, you know, they knew how it worked, but they didn't know the the details of it. They were ne- never able to kind of crack the code. And so how he thinks that every couple of years they would just bring a fresh pair of eyes into it. And it's just an ongoing mystery. And that's kind of what makes me lean to the idea that I, I think our government knows enough, but there's still a great deal that they're kind of unaware of. Yeah, I think there is because, you know, there's always been those theories about, you know, craft crashed, being re- recovered. 
here in Ohio, we've got Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. There's rumor for years that's where they're ending up at is Wright-Patterson. And I, I could actually see that over in Area 51, to be honest with you. Not because I'm from Ohio, but it's just because of the fact that you're hiding it in plain sight. But what I would also do is I'd put it below ground someplace. And a lot of Wright-Patterson stuff is below ground. You put it below ground someplace knowing nobody can get to it. It's almost like, you know, the old movie Independence Day. You put it below ground. You basically seal it up so nobody can get access to it. That way you restrict who can get to it. Because if you think about it, I mean, analyzing, let's say, potentially metals to me would be easier than, let's say, for example, how the craft would actually potentially be controlled, its power plant. That could take hundreds who knows how many years it's, it's the comparison I have is go back and give somebody like Alexander Graham Bell a cell phone and say, make it work. Yeah. He wouldn't have a clue. Send, send me a picture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wouldn't have a clue. I mean, he wouldn't know the technology behind it and it would take who knows how many years for him to gradually, you know, attain that knowledge. Yeah. So that, that bears the question then, like, how has, because I know UFO reports, UFOs come in all shapes and sizes and colors of the rainbow. So it's like, how has, how have UFO sightings changed over time? Are, are they, do they seem to come in like patterns? Are they like, these are the types of UFOs people saw in this decade. These are the types of UFOs people saw in this decade. Are there trends like that? Or are they just, is it pretty much just a scatter shot? There's a little bit, but behind that, Looking at it realistically, I always have to go back and say, let's look at the witness, the accuracy of the witness's story, because that's where everything is being acquired from. Well, I saw a triangular craft, okay, based on your opinion, you saw a triangular craft, or I saw, let's say, this large ball, and one of the best examples I've got is I got a report in one day. You look at the report, the witness says he sees this alien craft. He said the craft has to be 300 feet long. So you make the note, 300 feet long. Well, how far away is it from you? Well, it was only like 10 feet. And I'm thinking, crap, you're about to get your ass crushed, guy. <laughs> get out <laughs> of the way, man. Tell <laughs> where the thing sits down at. And I said, okay, now, if you held your arm out, this is where the real test comes in. You hold your arm out, arm's length. If you had an object in your hand, how big would it be? Well, it was about the size of a dime. Now, wait a minute. You're telling me your arm's out at arm's length. The object was the size of a dime in your, in your fingers. But yet, the thing was 300 feet long and 10 feet away from you. So when you look at facts, it all falls apart. Well, it's like we, we run into that too, or we've ran into that with the, the cryptid stuff. Yeah, with the cryptid <laughs> stuff is that, For sure. and it, it's it's just unfortunately it's it's human nature is, is we are we are just naturally really bad at at judging size at a distance. Yeah. Well, and like we like to elaborate, we like to make things sound a little better. Oh yeah, we're all about our just story. Like, you yeah. know, Uncle Paul comes in with the. With the fish he caught yesterday and how big the fish was. It was a six-foot catfish. Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, it was you a two-pound bass. Calm down. <laughs> and, and, and that's where you have to base everything to begin with is the initial report and the accuracy. So when I get these different shapes coming in, spherical shape, 
triangular shape, you have to go back and really review the witness's testimony. And I'm not saying all witnesses are bad by any means, but it's a consideration you have to look at as the accuracy information. Now, one thing that I think you've, we've noticed more is you get more of the triangular shaped craft, like starting right around the 1980s, 1990s. Back before then, you had more of the dish-shaped objects. Um, some of the ones that, um, some of my classic cases, the objects were more dish-shaped. Now, now wasn't there, and, uh, quote, me, quote me if I'm wrong, I, I believe that it, there's a theory that the whole triangular craft uh, sighting idea it, that the government supposedly has, I don't know the name of it, but there's supposedly like a top secret uh, stealth craft that we have that is triangular shaped. And that's what a lot of people are, are crediting those reports towards. You're right. And the, the one that it's, it's called is it's called a TR three B. That's the name of it. It has almost like a ball in the center of it. That some say it's like the power plant. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure in that whole project because when you go back and look at the history of like what the U.S. has tried to do in technology, trying to develop things along those lines on their own. I mean, you go back to the late 1950s, 1960s, you go down to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and you see the Avro car. Avro car was basically a disc that had this big fan pointed down towards the ground. That the estimates were saying, oh, this thing is going to go up, go 400 miles an hour. It's going to go to 30,000 feet. <laughs> really over-optimistic. It got about two and a half feet off the ground and went about 10 miles an hour before it almost tilted over, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it was built by a Canadian company on top of that. So we're going to blame <laughs> them on that, right? US Tech. We're going to blame them. But Good job, Canada. Yeah, you look what at something did, like that and some may say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, some may say, oh, that's just kind of like a cover-up thing. No, this is the attempts that they were making. And if you go 20 years forward, could, you know, 30 years forward, could we jump that far? Oh, and, I mean, and you, you have to, you have to think too, that there, if we failed once at making a craft, we've definitely failed more times. So I'm sure oh. that, I'm sure that if we, if we saw the number, if we saw the spreadsheet of, of the amount of good old American tax dollars wasted on aircraft, we, we'd probably, we'd probably be a little sick <laughs> to our stomach. We'd probably be like, Oh, oh. You're right there, without a doubt. I mean, I, I'd be saying, can I just have a tiny little bit of that my research, you know, just a tiny bit, you know? Talking about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, you walk through a museum, and you're like, oh, there's a couple million dollars. There's a $50 million airplane oh, yeah. just sitting here on display, you know? Well, they've got uh, one, of, one of the earlier B-2s. I mean, there you're talking a billion dollars yeah. in research setting right there. Jeez. But also, going back to Wright-Patterson, I think that would be a good place to also hide some stuff. Oh, yeah. Here you've got a museum. You're getting stuff in from all over the world. And it's not just new stuff. I mean, they're pulling out parts of V-2 rockets out of, like, fields in Europe, bringing pieces of them back to eventually, like, put the whole stuff together. But, I mean, you could put stuff in boxes, bring it in, let's just say, for example, alien technology. And it's kind of like the Indiana Jones movie. Let's kind of put it in this crate. Let's put it in a warehouse for years in plain sight. And nobody knows it's there. Man, I'd love to have I a job. I'd love to have a job in that warehouse. Piece of machinery that we just stored away. And, and you got to like, think like you have thousands of thousands of people, probably a million or more people visiting that per year. It's yeah. it's it, yeah. to me, it's the 
it's the obvious hi- it'd be it'd be a very obvious hiding spot. It'd be it'd be a laughably obvious hiding spot. Oh sure, and I pl- actually applied for a position down at Wright Pat as in a as like a a teaching job one time. <laughs> was that was that prior to your UFO stuff or? No, no, no. So, they, so, so I'm telling you what they did. They Googled, they Googled you. you and went, yeah, no. Yeah. Can't have this and, guy and not here. only that, it gets better than that. I applied for Bob Bigelow's company, too. Whoa. Okay, now this kind of leads us into another thing I wanted to talk to you about. Because this, this is one of that, that that's the kind of thing, the, the whole Bigelow thing interests the hell out of me, is the, um, is the Skinwalker Ranch. And, and I know you got, you, you got to know a lot about yeah. that because that, that whole chunk of property, especially, you know, because we, we dabble into everything in the kind of paranormal blanket, is that that property literally has everything going on. And it's and, and if I'm, I'm if I'm not mistaken, there has been military involved, like our U.S. government involvement on the property. Yeah. And, do you know, where, where well, it goes back like you're familiar with the ATIP program. Yeah, the advanced yeah. aerial threat identification program. Before ATIP, it had a different name, and they were looking at paranormal, not just UFOs. Because the paranormal stuff, paranormal. The, the paranormal thing, I because I was reading a bunch of reports is like literally every family that has been involved with the ranch. Because the, the actual name is the Sherman Ranch. It's in uh, Ballard, Utah, and it's very close to the uh, I believe it's the Ute. Indian reservation and stuff. So, you know, with the Native American tradition of their kind of skinwalker legend, that's kind of where it came from because they were having reports of of shape-shifting entities being seen of in 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 all of the buildings they were hearing, you know, voices, seeing strange things, objects moving. They had uh instances of what they would call portals opening up on the property and seeing things come through them or go into them. And it's just that property, for some reason, and some people attribute it to the Native American, maybe rituals that were performed on the property. There's, or it could be just a hot spot for it. But that property just has, to me, the weirdest, the weirdest activity imaginable. I would definitely like to go out there and openly said that, and I was making comments on my own radio show. And I said, if anybody out there is listening involved with the ranch, I will fly out on my own dime. I'll come out on a bicycle. <laughs> spend, spend some time out there because you know, I've, I've watched the show. They had their new series start the other day. And they, to me, there's a number of things they should be looking at. They're not. They're putting some fluff out there to draw people in, to get them attracted. And some of the fluff that they're putting out there, I think if you looked at it seriously, would be easily explainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some of the other things that I'd like to really delve into, like the frequencies, the radio frequencies and so forth out there, that part intrigues me. Now, what's that? Naturally occurring? Well, they're picking up all these different radio frequency bandwidths at certain points. Supposedly it's knocking out cell phones and so forth. I'd like to look at that. I mean, here you get this big spike, and not just one frequency, but across the entire board. All these frequencies go up pretty much simultaneously. So it's not just like AM, FM, but it would be like TV bands, cell phone. I mean, all these frequencies at the same time just spiking, which is like that. That's and there's, al- like there's that's almost no there's like no natural explanation for that. I mean, you could. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, there, there's about nothing. ley lines and crystal structures. On the ground. <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean, well, it kind of goes into what they think of like, uh, you know, with the whole energy thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the like, kind of what they call like a uh, uh, spook lights or whatever, where it's like mm-hmm. a, it's a naturally occurring, uh, almost like a hologram sort yeah, of thing. You know, well, it's a discharge of energy from. It might even be quartz, like a high concentration of quartz area in an area that. But like even then, that that is known to give off uh, an energy and mess with equipment and cause mm-hmm. spikes. But nothing, nothing to that degree. Just naturally nothing occurring minerals level. in the ground. Can yeah, do nothing that. to that level. Yeah, and things if they're actually picking up like radiation level. I mean, here you get a radiation level go way up. Next thing you know, it's completely gone. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, a guy supposedly gets radiation burns on his hands, parts of his body, and then. They go back and there's nothing later on. I mean, even the equipment he has triggers the equipment he has on. It shows, hey, you just got blasted of a high radiation level. And they go back and it's like somebody just turned off the whole thing and it's now all gone. That That's weird. That's not how radiation works. <laughs> no, there should be like a trace left behind. Right. You know, or something like if something was that intense. It would be intense, contaminated. Now, now yeah. do you know so, anything uh, more into the, well, kind of a, a two-pronged question, into the government involvement on the Skinwalker Ranch, and also I know that it was it was it was sold, it was sold rather recently to a to like an anonymous buyer. So, He's not anonymous. They oh. actually last year they came up with a series, and Bigelow he actually had his own scientific group before. And I'm going to back up a second because kind of like giving you a little idea. Harry Reid, who is a senator out of Nevada, he caught wind of uh, a book, The Hunt for Skinwalker. And he reached out to Bob Bigelow, who actually who owns Bigelow Aerospace, which coincidentally is from Nevada in Las Vegas. They hook up basically to, to keep the story, story short. They get together and he starts looking at things and he really gets interested in it. Harry Reid does. He gets a couple other senators on board, and this is where they get some funding put out to basically go into what was described as the ATIP program, the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, which ran from like 2007 to 2012. Well, they needed somebody who to, to get this information from. I mean, who's going to run this group? Well, they supposedly found, again, depending on how, how you believe the story, Luis Elizondo says, I ran the organization. And he says, basically, you know, we had limited funds. So what they did is he contacted Bob Bigelow. Because Bob Bigelow had been running his own scientific group. He was looking at the Skinwalker Ranch. He had his own scientist. He's put a ton of money into UFO research. So what Bigelow, they contacted Bigelow, and Bigelow basically starts doing the legwork. He's got investigators researching stuff. He's got his own group basically put together. So what this ATIP program is, they started basically subcontracting Bigelow out to research the UFOs, to follow up on cases. And for a while, they made, well, it was like about one year. Funds were went to MUFON, the organization I'm with. The idea was let's give them some funding. So if they get some hot cases, we can get investigators boots on the ground now. Think about from your paranormal point of view. What if you had a kitty that said, hey, you want to go out and get some equipment? It's yours. You need to get to the other side of state in an hour. 
no problem. It's there. If you had that type of funding. So he put out so much funding and we started turning reports into them, not our state locally, but the national organization started giving feedback on things. They also had access to the database. Our database is extensive with cases going back years. Well, to me, that's one of the things you'd really want. Well, they found out after about a year that the deal wasn't all they thought it was going to be from the information I got. There was more one way. He was getting everything, but there wasn't a whole lot coming back as far as, well, gee, this, uh, this case here, we followed up on it. We found uh, these materials, and uh, this is what our researchers found out on the materials. There was nothing like that really coming back. Also, I think the biggest deal breaker was is MUFON's a volunteer organization. We're not a big corporate thing where you're going to be, where they tracked everything down to the penny, most likely what he does. Well, that was another issue. So when he's looking probably at where all these pennies are being spent, wait a minute, you're not tracking everything as like I want to see it tracked. So that was another thing that probably didn't help. They wanted to see the receipts and it got them. Wanted to see the receipts. <laughs> and in Ohio, we never got a penny of it. Yeah. It was actually some of the states out west is the ones that got a lot of it. But he had this going on. Also, at the same time, I'm going around checking stuff, and I found out he bought some different websites. One was out of Canada. And this Canadian research site was getting UFO reports in. Uh, This site is sold. And it just says the new owners of the site are called Bass. Bass is Bigelow Aerospace. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, not only that, it gets better than that. A friend of mine in a local UFO group says, hey, uh, uh, you know, I saw a UFO the other day. And I wanted I, I called up our local airport, which is Akron-Canton, which is a regional airport. They called up Akron-Canton. Akron-Canton says, well, here's a number for Oberlin Control, which is a basically ATC, air traffic control. Here's their number. Call them. Well, he, they call up Oberlin ATC, and they say, oh, no, here's another 800 number to call. And they said, it, it's, it shows a group I'm not familiar with. Well, this goes back to that same 2007 to 2012 time frame. It said Bass, Big Low Aerospace. Man, they were diverting all these UFO reports going to the government right to Bass. And you got to feel <laughs> like that is almost, almost legally... You're getting into some shady areas It's there. kind of ominous yeah, a little yeah. bit. You're getting into... it, it is, but it's no longer there because uh, the funding ran out. Bigelow backed out then because, I mean, the, supposedly the funding dried up right around that 2012 time frame. So if no funding, hey, uh, I'm not going to work with you anymore for free, you know. So he basically backed out, and they pulled his name off of the FAA website then. So now they tell you to contact like local UFO groups or the police if there's a major thing. So who's the new uh, who's the new owner? Who is this mis- the the new people, <sighs> the new kids on the block? I'm trying to remember his last name. His first name is Brandon. He's actually a real estate developer out of like Utah. And he wants to put some nice apartments on the place. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, what he is is he's he's picked up on the fact. I mean, he's interested in it. Yeah. I mean, he's he saw the stuff going on with Bigelow, so he bought the place. But now they're this they're in their second season of a TV series based on it. Uh, so that TV series is like is his venture. 
I don't think it's his venture totally, but probably History Channel reached out to him and said, hey, you know, we're interested in this. This would make a good series. Uh, I've caught a little we'll bit work of it. With and it's, seen, it, it's, it's good TV, but that's about as far as I'd take it. Yeah, that's the point I'm coming from. I'd love to go out myself because there's some things I see that I'm interested in. But what they're doing is they're putting more emphasis on, to me, what I call some of the fluff. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a cattle. Oh, look, there's an object in front of the cow. Cow. It's over, hovering over the cow. I hate to jump on the skeptic side right away, but... I think very likely it's a fly flying in front of the camera right. at the same yeah. instant they took the photograph yeah. or they come out and they say, ah, but we ran in our control room and there was no aircraft out there. Well, I've got a transponder in my office behind me, a receiver that I can pick up aircraft above us right now. And it, it goes from my receiver into a international group. Well, this is when you see these people tracking aircraft. This is where they're getting their information from is people like me with receivers in our houses or, or someplace. But if you have a region out in Utah that nobody has a receiver, well, they can't get a signal on aircraft if there's no receivers in the area that can pick up anything. Because mine will reach out, I think they say about 200, 250 miles. But if you have something that's out there in the region that there's, it can't pick up aircraft, how do you know? that there's no aircraft there. True. True. You don't. Yeah. That you, you're, that's when you get out to that area. It's the, 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 the desolation is, I mean, it's, it's good to get away from everyone to kind of do your investigation, but it's also a double edged sword. It's kind of shoots you in the leg as far as being away from all the tech that could benefit you. Right. And, and they've got a lot of tech out there, but myself, I'd like to say, just get the hell out of my way. <laughs> Let me use your tech and let me see what I turn up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm no rocket scientist like the one guy is. Well, I'm a rocket scientist. Yeah, but I look at a couple things and say, I'm no rocket scientist either, but damn, I can see right through this right now, you know, because it's it could be analyzed better, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you think that the, the the TV crunch is mostly to blame for that? Because yeah. I, I remember yeah. back when, we, when I was in the more involved in the Bigfoot stuff, like exclusively involved in the Bigfoot stuff, the whole, you know, everyone's dream ideas to be like, Oh, I just want to be on a TV show. I want to do this and this. And then you, you, we would go to these conferences and stuff and you talk to the people who are on the TV shows and they're like, don't do the TV shows. If anything, do the, do the smaller kind of self-funded documentaries and stuff like that is more of a better way to express yourself and get the message out there because the TV shows you, you are playing by their rules. Not, not, not yeah, your own. You, you're hundred percent right. I've done the documentaries, enjoyed them. Yeah. I've done some TV shows, not as enjoyable because when you see the finished product come back, you're at the control of producers and people with getting, putting, basically you're on the, what's on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And they, and they manipulate your kind of the, 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 uh, the footage they get with you and the questions they ask you, they can, it seems to me like they ask you things and put you in, sh in situations that are easily spinnable. 
easily yeah. kind of that could either paint you in a positive light or pa- really quickly paint you in a negative they can, light. They can change the context yeah, in which they're, very quickly. they're yeah. interviewing you <laughs> or they can change the order in which you respond to questions to, to fit the narrative. And I mean, we talk about that a lot with like, with all paranormal shows really is they, they have to have a, a 45 minute episode and that 45 minute episode has to lead into the next episode. So they have to build this kind of like story arc, you know, in a yeah. season to keep it going. And, and life just doesn't work out that way all the time. It's not how an yeah, investigation right. works. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And, and that's why I, I'm not a fan of a lot of the shows out there. I watch them, like you said, for entertainment purposes more than anything else, or maybe to see how other people are presenting things. I look at it from that perspective, but some of them are, I hate to say it, out and out terrible. Um, one of the ones I'll never forget was Chasing UFOs. Uh, it was on for like one season, something like that. Travel Channel or something like that. Yeah, and one of my friends was was on one of the episodes, and I even knew one of the other individuals on the show his name was james fox he's done a couple great documentaries he just turned out uh, phenomena which is a movie not too long ago i yeah you yeah, watched that yeah, yeah. And, and james fox nice guy uh he's like he says i'm not a ufo researcher he says but i'm, I'm very interested in the subject well they brought him on a show because he was a name oh he's got documentaries out so let's get him on there well, next thing you know, he's running through the woods at night <laughs> with a backpack with lights on it, looking for UFOs. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Did we just cross this up a Bobo? All of a sudden, they're going to be doing UFO calls in the woods. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? And I, and I, I met me and James were, I had him in for a conference and we're out. Well, let's just say drinking the one night. <laughs> Cause that's what we were doing. To about Not a two or three in the morning when we got thrown out. <laughs> but I said, yeah, I got to ask you, the series, Chasing UFOs. And he goes, they told me it was going to be 90% serious, 10% comedy. <laughs> he says, once it started, it was completely flipped around, 90% comedy, 10% serious. Uh, and he goes, I got my name on a contract. What can I do? Yeah, yeah, true. They got, they, that's, that's, that's kind of how they get you. Well, there's been a few of the paranormal shows that I've actually gotten busted for that. You know, they got caught forging stuff or, or, or manipulating their, their equipment and, you know, kind of fudging the findings as it were. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. It uh, is a shame. I, I, another, another name I kind of wanted to throw out there your way. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, being as involved in it as you, the, um, Dr. Stephen Greer. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what's your kind of thoughts on what he's doing and his, whole direction okay. ce5 I see, I see i see the smile i see the i see the, yeah. the initial reaction so now i'm interested this, this is why i i caught some crap with some of the local ufo groups because you have different ones who i mean jump on everything hook line and sinker and buying the stuff and i'm one that i don't pe- tell people i'm a skeptic but i go in with a skeptical point of view let's look at the data and let's analyze it seriously to see where it's leading well, that's that's healthy that's what you should that's yeah, what you should exactly be. and and when i look at do ufo research i look at not only ufo sites but i look at the skeptic sites for comparison i say okay maybe somebody turned over this nut you know and it, they produce something cuz hey maybe they're on track with this you know so you have to look at it that way but with greer i'm on the fence i'm like you know, you're telling me you're going out there and there's, there's summoning UFOs. 
because we had a guy come into our local Cleveland group that his one of his claims was, hey, I, I associate with Stephen Greer, you know, the groups that meet out there, uh, summing UFOs. Well, we went out the one night and we did this exercise where, okay, let's go out and let's try to summon a UFO. So this meditation in a field. Exactly. So I thought, okay, let's see what, how it's going to happen. Because I like to put myself in these situations. Sure. Let's see how it really happens. Give it a go. Yeah, so we go out to the state park late at night. We're on the state park, and we get around this big circle out there, and they, and he, they start uh, playing like Indian chants and so forth on there. I'm like, okay, interesting, because like you mentioned earlier, the Indian side of some of these things, there may be a very strong connection there. Yeah. And I want to find out. But then out of nowhere, they start playing the Carpenters calling all ancient aliens. I'm like, what the hell is this got to do with this <laughs> What did this I get crap? involved with? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I should be drinking well, well, right now. To be fair, to be fair, we, we, don't, we, we can never be 100% certain. That might the carpenters might very well that be might the extraterrestrial's extra yeah. favorite music. <laughs> exactly, you know it could be. I, I well, okay, you win. Just start so, making an alien playlist. <laughs> so, uh, George Clinton with the uh, mothership connection. There right? you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, it, then he gets out. Uh, we start looking around the sky, and they start trying to point things out, you know. And he gets out this laser pointer, and he's pointing at an object, and he says, "There." I said, that's an airplane. That's an Stop <laughs> pointing a laser at it. <laughs> the guy is a commercial airline pilot. Uh, oh. And that's a felony, goes, isn't no, it? No, it's not. He goes, no, it's not. I said, damn it, it is. I said, I live in this region. I said, that area over there is Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. Because that's a felony charge. Like do, doing that is like a crime, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's, that's a big that's a big criminal offense. And I'm thinking, here we are all gonna get busted, <laughs> you know. But it, I, everything the guys show me that night, I'm looking at like, you know, if you're an example of Greer's group, which, I mean, he may be one that's unique out there for all I know. But I wasn't seeing a whole lot positive from my point of view. Yeah. I, I will I say the one thing that spoke to me was in his, I mean, I've watched the, I can't remember how many documentaries of his, but I think at least two that I've seen. The, the footage he had was I mean I'm not saying it was you know blew my mm. mind but a, a lot of it was was some interesting footage and it was footage I hadn't seen like on YouTube and other documentary TV shows it was mm -hmm. newer footage and you know it, we we live in the in the time now where you know almost anything can be photoshopped and faked but it, it was impressive nonetheless and that to me like like I you know I'm coming at this kind of from the you know I'm no I don't I haven't been as deeply involved in this as you, so I've, I'm sure you've seen evidence that is astounding. But to me, that that his his alone was impressive. Not yeah, not my his, some, but his groups. Well, see, there's the thing is, when you get so much stuff coming out, it's separating the wheat from the chaff, and what is good and what isn't. And the problem I've got is sometimes that you know if, if you're turning out all this stuff and saying, "Hey, this is unreal. This is unreal," you may have some stuff that really is on in real that's really interesting in that whole mix and it could be discarded because of some of the other stuff that's being put out and that was the problem i had with that individual that night who i won't use his name but 
he, you know, he presented stuff. He showed me pictures and other things out there of, of, of stuff that we don't have enough time to get into. There was just that really tore his whole story down to me. But the reality is you may have some people out there have some fantastic videos and other stuff. And the bad part is, is I look at stuff based on what I'm seeing from him. And you've got to be careful so you don't stereotype the whole group based off of this one individual. True. Because you could totally discard everything from, you know, Greer's group based off of that one person. I just had a very bad taste that night after he left that I didn't see a whole lot of positive because he even showed me if this is one of the best UFO photos I've ever seen. Really? I'm like, damn, I've seen that photo someplace before. Wait a minute. Let's go in. He's from such and such a state. So I get into their database and I start searching through all the pictures and going, damn, here's the report. It was a UFO report. And the investigator said, this is a cell phone app on a phone to put a photo into a UFO into a photograph. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and this is why I, you know, I had my opinion because, and I'm like, damn it. I knew it was. And when I looked at it, I pulled the original image up from our database and looked at it on my computer. I'm going, this is, this is altered in some sense. This is not a raw photograph. This is something that's been implanted in there. Not even a good and it was, hoax. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the investigator even approached a witness about it. He says, you know, uh, did you alter your photograph? Oh, no, no. He says, this is a cell phone app that puts a UFO in a photograph. Really? Well, I don't know how it got on my phone. Oh, come on. Yeah. Give me a damn great guy. It's, Are you serious? To me, that just, what you it kind spoken? of, it poisons the well. It, it When you have people, because, I mean, there when we were in the Bigfoot thing, you have people that do that, that kind of crap, too. And it's just, it, it, it almost takes the wind out of your sails when you have people doing stuff like that. It's like, come on, man. Like, mm, you're, yeah. we're, you're, we're all sitting here, you know, especially when you have people that, you I mean, you have many people that invested whole parts of their lives into these things. Reputation. You know, the reputation. And, and they take it very seriously. And you have a couple whack jobs that just ruin it for everyone. Bought a gorilla ruin suit it for everyone. On, on Amazon. Without a doubt. And that's that's why, you know, when somebody asked me about Stephen Greer, that's why I kind of react the way I do because, I've, you know, there's some things interesting, but I've, I'm like, if everything is based on this guy, they're in trouble, you know? Yeah. It's under. I mean, it's it, it's totally understandable. That's that's your reaction, and it's it's good to what what I should have done when watching his stuff more. Because I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I it, when I first watched it, I was I was hyped up. I was I was intrigued, and but you 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 got to be able to rein yourself in and you know temper your your expectations and your thoughts. You got to be able to kind of yeah. uh, understand things, you know, in a in a non biased light. Which I think is good. There's a heavy dose of theatrics in his. Oh yeah, in his, it, in his yeah. film. But, but it makes it makes good. Listening. Makes great, great, yeah, good watching. Sure. You know, that's great, that's uh, that's video. part of. You don't want to put out something that someone's going to get ten minutes in and be like, okay, I'm going to go it. watch right. you know popcorn in my microwave for another ten minutes. You know, just to have some excitement. So that does like poise the question though. Like, you know, if we're trying to investigate ghosts, we go to. Uh, uh, presumably haunted place, or if we're trying to find Bigfoot, we'll go to Salt Fork or travel out to the Pacific Northwest or or, or wherever. But it, aliens, or I'm sorry, UFOs. Uh, I'm being yeah presumptuous. <laughs> uh, UFOs is a weird one because it's 
where do you go uh, to, to see one? Well, you know, different ones will say, hey, oh, go out to Sedona, go out to certain places like that. But, yeah, they get a lot of reports, but I'm not sure if there's really a true hotspot because I'll say, some, see, some people say, hey, New York's a hotspot, Ohio's a hotspot. Well, based on what? Yeah. What data Here's are you basing it. everything off? What's the gauge? Well, well, we got uh, X number of reports in Ohio this month. I said, okay, now let's go through, let's take all these cases. All the ones you can explain, take them out. Right. Now let's look at another. Yeah. 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 Now what do you got? Also, besides that, let's look at the population of the state based around where those cases are at. Mm -hmm. Well, most of all these cases are around the bigger cities. Well, it's because you have a lot more more people there. Well, that's kind of a, it's interesting. It's interesting as hell that you say that too, because uh, the idea we had, and I'm going to, Throw back to Jay, our you know Bigfoot mm-hmm. guy. He always his big thing, and I heard him say it a bunch. You know, shout out Jay was um you, you it it takes two ingredients to have a sighting, and that's a sighting of anything. You need people and whatever it is you're looking for. So we would <clears throat> with the Bigfoot thing, we were focused on this area of Ohio. It's called I don't know if you're familiar with called Vinton County. It's 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 in it's I think it's in southeastern Ohio, but it is a very rural county, like one street light in the whole county, no McDonald's in the county, um, and there it has the, uh, what I think is still the lowest population density of a county, and it's it, and it's a good size county, and there's only been like back when we were doing the Bigfoot thing, there's only like three reports out of it, so no one ever looked into it because they're like oh well, you know there's not there's nothing going on there because there's only three reports well there's probably only three reports because there's no one there yeah. <laughs> there's no one you, there's no one there to give the report yeah. you know and then with the report thing you got to figure how many people actually like we, you working with MUFON how many people do you genuinely think see something and then report it most people just see something and go uh, I saw something weird that's right tell their family and yeah. friends and that's as far as it goes you're, you're right, because a number of people may say, I already believe in aliens, so I don't have to put anything out there to convince anybody. You know, I, I know they believe, they know they exist. Or you get the ones who don't even know about MUFON. What if they don't know about who to report it to? And what's insane is how how, how big you, you guys are, how, how big of a presence you have in the field, and even then you're still unknown. So you have these, like one of the big things is the BFRO for Bigfoot. Right. And we would do these uh, kind of like town hall little talks and we would ask these people, okay, well, did you ever report your sighting? Well, no, I didn't know how or more or less didn't care to, you know, and people, a lot of it, and I'm sure it's, 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 it's involved in everything from Bigfoot to, to ghosts, to UFOs, to, to the Loch Ness monster. If people see something weird, there's the ridicule factor. There's the, oh, I don't want my name to be associated with, you know, X. I don't want it to be, you know, to me to be thought as a crazy person. Mm-hmm. And which is, it's unfortunate, but it's understandable. It, right. And it, it still exists, not as much yeah, not as, as much, it used yeah. to in all fields. But that that stigma still exists. Because um, one of the cases that you know, I was talking to Dylan about, uh, the case over in Trumbull County, when you listen to the tapes of the 911 tapes from like the 1990s, it's basically like, okay, off camera, you hear the cops laughing their butts off, making jokes about all this stuff. 
and they're making, you know, they know nobody's going to supposedly hear it. Now, what but case was this? Jokes. What's that? What case was this? Trumbull County. It goes back to 1994. Was that here in? Ohio? Was that Ohio? Or? Ohio. Yeah, Trumbull County's over by Youngstown area. Oh, was this the one you guys talked about? Uh, it, it's one of the ones we talked about. We also talked about one with the um, a military helicopter encounter. Coin incident. Uh, it was called the coin incident going back to the 1970s. Now, now, are those two some of the famous ones out of Ohio? There's there's a number of really good ones. And, and what I was telling Dylan about, you know, people, when you talk about UFOs, they think of Roswell. They think of, uh, in this case, Phoenix Lights, of Rendlesham Forest. But I said a number of states actually have cases themselves that, to me, rate really high. Like, one of the things I'm in is a research group of guys going back to the 1960s. These guys are are serious, serious researchers looking at data and so forth. And when I I talked to them, last time we got together was like about a year and a half ago. I said, in the top ten cases of all time, which ones do you think would rank up there? Well, the coin incident ranked like in the top five wow. of all time, period. Uh, in this case, when it goes back to one that happened in Portage County, which is over by Akron area, back in the 1960s, that also ranks up in the top ten if also not the top five. That's impressive. But people right? don't know about yeah, this. It's, it's, and it's, it's a shame because I, don't, I, know, I know we're partial because we're from Ohio, but we, we, we right. love the state and we're interested. That's kind of where our group focuses is stuff. I mean, I know, you know, for the most of this episode, we've talked about kind of the, the big picture, but now let's, I want to try to zero in on, on hometown, you know, like it, it's impressive to see things of that scale come out of a state that's often overlooked with everything, you know, with yeah. everything paranormal. And, and the thing that, um, like in the coin incident, which happened in the 1970s down by uh, Mansfield, Richland County. I happen to live in Ashland County right next to it. And what really got my interest in that case was I go into work the next day. I'm working in a, in a factory in the 1970s. I go into work the next day and somebody says, hey, did you see in the newspaper about UFOs? Uh, you know, that uh, we're only about 10 miles from here, you know, and, uh, like a thing of a helicopter. Well, when I looked up where it was at, my parents had a camper that they went to. And their camp was right within probably about 100 yards of where this thing was seen at. Oh, that's great. I'm like, oh, crap, man. I wish I'd have been there. You right? know? <laughs> I've never seen this thing. You know? So I really got my interest. I read over a lot of stuff on it. And then, you know, like a lot of us, we get away from things for years because, you know, you get a career, uh, you get kids. Yeah. And I'm at a point in life now where I'm retired. And to me, it's me time now. So now it's prime time, prime right. time to get back yeah. into it. Prime time now. Exactly. You know, uh, I joke around. I said, you know, I did three things. I said, first of all, I bought my Corvette. Nice. <laughs> I had to get the Corvette. The Corvette got lonely, so I had to get the motorcycle to park next to the Corvette, you know, yeah, to keep to, it company. It's time to live a little bit. Treat large, yourself. You know? yeah. And I said, let's do something that we got away from years ago. Let's get back into it. And that's why I got interested in MUFON and the Cleveland Ufology Project. And one of the things that I love to do now is I love to do historical research and go back and look at them with modern tools. But what was unique about the coin case was I was doing a talk um, over along Lake Erie, Huron area, during the summertime. And this guy come is, attends a talk I'm at 
we had like 50 some people in this meeting and I'm doing a presentation on UFOs at the library. And the guy goes, Hey, can you tell us about uh, the coin incident? Uh, let me give you about five, 10 minutes on the, on the incident. So I gave him a quick overview and I said, did I answer your question? sir?" So he goes, yeah, that was the way it happened. I'm like, I don't know who the hell you are, guy, but you ain't getting out of this room without, <laughs> without more serious talk. I don't claim to be a genius, but come on. That was the way it happened. Well, I cornered him, and he was actually one of the crewmen on board the wow. helicopter. Wow. So, so with the coin incident, if you could, get, like, I, I, I am not too familiar with it, but you're yeah. saying, like, I guess it was like a like military helicopter was yeah, involved? Yeah, military helicopter. Yeah, what it does is it goes back. I'm going to pull up my cheat sheet, by the way, to remember the date. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, but it goes back to October 73, October 18th. What you had was a Army Reserve helicopter. Had was based in Cleveland. They had six of them actually at that time based in Cleveland for my research. One of the helicopters went to Columbus. Uh, not all the crewmen had to have medical exams, but a couple of them had to have some med routine medical exams. They go down, they do the exams, they finish up about 10.30, they go back to Port Columbus, and that's where they departed from. They leave Port Columbus about 10.30, and they're flying back to Cleveland in a Huey. Now, a Huey has that distinct sound that you can hear miles away. It's got that thump, 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 thump. Well, they leave clear sky, nice cool night. I mean, visibility is probably 15, 20 miles easily. And they were flying around, flying along Route 71 because what they did is they used also degree visual flight rules. They had direction on their compass, but they looked at the car lights on Route 71. The so they're road. keeping, yeah, they're keeping east of 71 because once they get close to Mansfield, they know that there's Mansfield Lom Air Force Reserve Base there. They flew F-100 fighters at that time. Now they're they're flying. Um, cargo planes but back then they wanted to make sure they were staying well away from the airport just because of safety reasons so they're starting to gradually approach mansfield when one of the crewmen looks out the back window left hand side and he sees a red light that's non-blinking the light's non-blinking and it's moving the opposite direction you are they're going kind of like north actually kind of like north northeast it's heading south well, he doesn't say anything about it. He, yeah, it's, maybe it's a tower or something. Who knows? Well, about a minute and a half later, a crewman on the other side, and the first crewman's name was John Healy, by the way. He was actually a, a Cleveland policeman. The crewman on the right-hand side, name was uh, Robert Janicek. He looks out the, the window on his side, and he sees a red non-blinking light off in a distance. Doesn't think anything about it. Does the double take? It's still there. Eh, maybe it's a tower. Eh, I don't know. I better let the cap. Better let the commander Coin know. So commander Coin wasn't flying. Lawrence Coin was actually a full time uh, army reservist. He was actually a former Cleveland policeman also. But he's in the front seat in the co-pilot side, just just riding along for the ride, basically. So he says, you know, coin, he says, you know, there's an object I see off in a distance. I'm not sure what it is. It's red non-blinking. Well, they know there's potential aircraft in the area coming into Mansfield. He says, keep an eye on it. Let me know if there's a change. 
Well, this is where all of a sudden you get this B movie, Twilight Zone type thing, you know. <laughs> the thing turns and starts coming on a basically about a 45 degree angle towards them. They estimated about 400 miles an hour. So this thing is coming in fast. Coming in hot. At their same altitude, which is about 1,500 feet. They're at 1,500 feet. This thing is coming at their same altitude. They're thinking collision. Yeah. So Coin takes over control of the helicopter from the fourth crewman. His name was Rick Jesse. He puts it into a dive and says, okay, I'm going to get below this thing, whatever it is, and let me also radio Mansfield, which is the closest airport, and say, hey, you know, have you got anything on radar? So he keys his mic up as he's putting into a, a descent, and he goes, you know, this is 15444, which is their tail number. Mansfield, he said, initially acknowledges, and then the radio goes dead. Nothing. He starts changing the frequencies, can't get anything. You can hear his mic keying up, but he's got nothing. This thing is coming at him. And there, he's, he's almost thinking impact, so he puts in the steepest dive he can. And the last known altitude they had was 500 feet off the ground. So they were really low. They were low. Really at low. night. Yeah, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous maneuver, apart. period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ground down there, by the way, is not completely flat. There's actually some hilly terrain in that region. So he's going down. Next thing you know, this object stops above them. It, they can see it's got like a red nose on it. The tail end looks kind of like a white light. It looks gray metallic. And they said it appeared to be roughly about 50, 60 feet long. It's in some way they present it. Some say it's out in front, but actually it was more from what one of the crewmen told me. It was up and above them. Uh, Robert Janicek, I found out, lived only about 12 miles from me. He was the crewman in the back. I have tracked him down and had, I, I just pulled up right before our talk, you know, our talk tonight, a three hour tape I made with him oh, wow. talking to him about the whole thing. Now, is that, is, is this coin incident? Is this the audio you had or is that a different incident? Well, this one is all audio. And, you know, I'm, I, I talked to him about it. He goes, yeah, he says, yeah, I remember that now. Once I started talking to him about the whole event. He says, I blew it off in the back of my mind for like all these years. But he said, you know, I was afraid that thing is going to hit the damn rotor blades. It was that close. Now, was it just, did it, did it do anything aggressive or did, was it just observing? Okay, now here's where it gets wild. The helicopter, they called the greenhouse to camp the cockpit because the upper glass was green. So if you had light coming in, it would actually illuminate everything as a green color. They said this light swung around, and some described it as being green, actually illuminated the whole inside of the helicopter and overpowered the lights of all the instrument lights. Wow. It was that bright. It lit up the whole cockpit. So they're still moving forward at probably about 100 and 110 miles an hour, roughly, exposing the descent. This thing is above them close enough, from what Janicek said, to hit the rotor blades. That's what scared the hell out of him. And he says... This illuminated the whole cockpit. We're focused on this green light and everything else. It stays on for about 30 seconds, then the light goes. And this object takes off going towards the northwest, which kind of like at a 45-degree angle, can continue its path. Well, they look down, and all of a sudden, they're at 3,500 feet. So it had so pulled them. So now you went from 
from 500, 500 feet up to 3,500 feet. So that's really interesting because I think I mentioned this on our call, but usually you would, you would assume if something flew over the top of a helicopter, it would create kind of like a like a, a strange pressure situation. You would expect the helicopter to drop in altitude. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of You're like right. being caught in like a rotor wash or, or some kind of propulsion. Yeah. But to be pulled up 3,000 feet, I mean. Yeah, 3,000 yeah. 3, 3, feet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's, really yeah. bizarre. And, and and that was in 70, what did you say? 70, 73. 73. So, like, st- in my opinion, it's still a recent thing. And, yeah, that is a utter shame that that is not a more told story. That is, it, that's a wild tale. And, it, and, when, and you well, met, how many of the people have you met involved? I met two of the crewmen. And I did a, a, a TV uh, series about it, wow, uh, one episode. And they actually reached out and they tracked. I knew where the fourth, the third crewman was. The fourth is dead. No, but I knew where the third was, and they tracked him down. Now, I remember you saying you talked, also he, tracked down the helicopter. Right, because I'm like, wait a minute. Here's this thing that the object leaves. Coincidentally, the next day. And I say coincidentally, they did Magnaflux tests on the rotor blades looking for cracks. They were not special ordered. They were supposedly, it was supposedly a routine uh, test. The compass also failed and they had to replace the compass. The radio was worked on and they, the crewman, the two crewmen I talked to said that basically the, the helicopter became a hangar queen after that. It had ongoing mechanical issues from there on out. So some something with the... The, the forces it was the the other craft was exerting the, the RS yes, and all was that. something something along those lines caused an issue. Now have any so of the, the of, how any have any of the crewmen had any weird health effects or have they live relatively normal lives or? Well, the the one I talked to had the longest interview with. I found out he passed away about a year ago now. Um, I didn't find out what he passed away from, but it seemed like we I mean, here all these years later. Yeah, seems like he had a normal life. But interestingly enough, I mean, they, they get back to Cleveland. Actually, when they landed at Cleveland, they're almost completely out of fuel, which was unheard of. They had alarms going off saying that they had 20 minutes of fuel left on the way back. God. And when they sat down, they had only like five gallons of fuel left in the, in the Huey. Whew. They had no radio contact. And according to the crewman I talked to, he said security came out and said, who the heck are you guys landing? <laughs> you know, you've got no permission to land. Well, I asked a crewman, I said, I got a question for you. Uh, this is questions coming from some research I did. Were you ever questioned by um, Coin about having unusual dreams after this whole event happened? And Yanacek looked at me and says, where the hell did you hear that from? I said, I have my sources. He said, he did. He asked us if we had unusual dreams after the thing happened. And basically it goes back to, did they have an encounter? Like, did you maybe have missing time? Yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of my next question is the whole missing time thing, because yeah. that to me, that is for, for me, that is almost as horrifying as experiencing an abduction because with the missing time, you, it, it it's it, it's personal. It's you 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 wonder like, well, what the hell happened to me? What what was I exactly. doing? You know, it's and that and that is a common report thing. I had a I, I had family members down in Kentucky that had their their car was lit up by a bright light up in the holler, 
and car died and not, you know, just a strange event, no missing time. But, uh, I think it was, they supposedly like a town over, and this is just hearsay from family down there. The town over someone had was out like hunting or doing something and was, you know, out in the woods by himself and didn't get home till, till mid, you know, like midnight till dark. And you don't do that hunting. That's not, you know, how, how it goes. So, and his whole thing was, well, I was just walking around and then all of a sudden I will, you know, he's like, I didn't pass out. I don't remember anything. You know, I wasn't hurt, you know, and it's just, and it was very, it was immediately following their encounter with this bright light in their car. So to me, that's, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing when it gets, yeah. when it becomes a, a personal encounter like that is, is different. Well, supposedly that question came from the surgeon general. Supposedly. Ooh. So now you get and then the he was upper like, military. Was the alien smoking cigarettes. Also, the, yeah. also the Surgeon General had no eyebrows and was seven feet tall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was wearing a black fedora and trench coat. Yeah. But you know, when you hear stuff like that, it's like wow. But then, you know, this the case kind of dies out course of time. At that time, Alan Heine, um Blue Project Blue Book was was gone. Alan Heineck was still involved with UFO research here in Ohio. Uh, he was the consultant to Project Blue Book. He looked in the case. I've actually got the audio where he was interviewing the crewman I tracked down uh, back years ago. So I had a little bit more information there. Uh, one of his um, assistants actually wrote a book on the whole thing. She did a lot of research. She passed away about a year ago now. Uh she did a ton of research on a case and I started picking up, said, you know, the one thing is that helicopter. I love, I love to fly. I love helicopters, love planes. I said, where is that damn thing? <laughs> I said, what if the thing is close and maybe I can get a way to access that thing? Put it right next to the Corvette, yeah, and the motorcycle. Corvette and the motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, there we go. Didn't think about that. But I tracked, I go start going through the tail numbers through registrations. And I found out the helicopter is decommissioned 40 years after it's put in service. It was made in 68. They decommissioned it in 2008. It was sent to Patrick Air Force Base down in uh, Florida. Well, from there, it got basically reassigned another tail number. And they gave it to the Colombians as part of what they call Plan Columbia for drug trafficking raids. So they sent it down to there along with a number of other helicopters from the same era. I'm like, okay, so I know it's in Colombia. Well, then I find a, a report in a Chinese newspaper. Get this Chinese newspaper that says this tail number went down with all souls on board. Oh. So I'm like, okay, crashed. Why? Did they know it had mechanical issues? So I started trying to reach out to the reporters down in the area. And coincidentally, I mean, I, I started researching this years ago. About six months ago, I had a Colombian uh, media contact me about this. And they said, we understand you have information. Do you think this helicopter went down because of this UFO exposure? Because it was compromised. Oh, how the heck would I know? It's impossible to know. You know, but I said it was involved with a close encounter where it had, you know, mechanical issues. And I said, I suggest you look for the mechanical reports on the helicopter that you should have down here. And I never heard another word back. But what happened is the helicopter went out on a, 
drug trafficking uh, raid, basically. And from what I understand, it wasn't shot down by arms fire. It went down from mechanical issues. The big question is, what were they related to? That you don't know. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's where you start me. getting into that. I mean, it's interesting. It's unfortunate. It's a but 40-year-old it, oh yeah. helicopter but it, also. also yeah. but, it, but it's interesting that you go, it just so happens that it was involved with this super significant <laughs> UFO report. And, and it was it, noted to have mechanical issues yeah. post said event. Exactly. So it, to me, that's just, I don't know. It, and it's, it kind of sucks, too, that the government would give... I know the government being the government, they you know probably care a little about it, but it, it's got to suck, you know, losing something that has that kind of a connection. It should be in Wright Pat, right? Yeah, that that thing SR should 71. be. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that thing deserves a front row seat at Wright Pat. <laughs> you know, it can be a what did you call it? A hanger queen? It can be a hanger queen right there. Yeah. Well, I was driving by a um, um, Ambet location. They had a Huey sitting in the front. I go up. I'm looking at serial numbers on yeah. it to say, is, <laughs> "What if you got to make sure? Down, what if they put, it's hiding in plain sight? You know, right here it is. That's right. So, um, but I found WikiLeaks documents too. Oh, and the WikiLeaks documents did not state that that tail number went down. I mean, these WikiLeaks documents were documenting uh, helicopters in service, helicopters out of service, how many hectares were being sprayed with basically. The foins to kill the plants down there. They had all this stuff documented, and they said uh, this helicopter went down. They gave it the serial number. All four crewmen did on board, but all the, the that month and the surrounding months, the one I was looking for wasn't documented. So it's like, did they not document it, or yeah. did it really go down? I don't know. So that, and especially, I mean, I I don't want to like degrade Colombia. That's not what I'm trying to do. But like with a country that is involved in, you know, their magnitude of fighting, you know, a drug war and everything else, I, I'm I'm almost certain record keeping is kind of like lower yeah. on the priority record scale. Record keeping and helicopter maintenance yeah, might it's, not it's be probably on their exactly. priorities. They're like, oh, how long has it been since old yeah. Betsy had an oil change? It's like, she's fine. Take her out. You know? Like, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Don't worry about all that duct tape. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. <laughs> Ignore the paper clips. Just, 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 just fly it fast. <laughs> but when, when you talk to the crew and you get their stories and you really look at it, it's like, this was a serious encounter. And here, I mean, they, they document, I mean, they turn the report in the next day that says, this is what happened. And when I talked to now, the, wait, the, the military said, turned it, who, who turned the report? Yeah, that's a good the, question. The, the, the crewman turned it into the military. Okay. Okay. The report on it. You can find it on the internet that this is what they observed. And I, I asked the two crewmen I talked to, I said, does the government mind you talking about this? And their answer was, as long as I state exactly what happened, that an object appeared above, you know, it basically came on an intersecting path with them. It was above them. Uh, this green light illuminated the whole helicopter and it left. So they say, as long as we state that. But then you have ground witnesses entering into the story. A number of ground witnesses confirming that there was the helicopter, there was the object. And they also said that the altitude was roughly about 500 feet from the heli of the helicopter. That was probably a bizarre sight to oh, see. Yeah. And, and especially yeah. what gets me is when you have, you have reports that are that like that, that are, you know, they're, 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 
they're irrefutable. You can't you can't right. argue with it. You have the mass witness. Yeah, you have the all of the military members of the aircraft. You have people on the ground. You have everyone correlating the story. So I feel like it kind of it kind of puts the government in this position to where they're like, well, shit. Um, yeah, go ahead and just tell your story. You know, like uh, we can't really yeah. say anything else. So t- right, and and that that at that time you had this guy called Philip Class who was a, a, a skeptic, a debunker. And you have those in all fields of paranormal. Oh, yeah. And a guy comes out and says, well, I think it was a meteor. <laughs> Wait a minute. The meteor, <laughs> the meteor hovering over the helicopter. <laughs> the meteor goes south, makes a, a right-hand turn, comes back at a 45-degree angle, stops above them, takes them up 33,000 feet, and then leaves. Come on. Seriously? Yeah, yeah it just, just had to deflect you, off you a get, you get the satellites yeah. and... Yeah. You know, maybe a Boeing hit, dropped a Boeing bomb that deflected it a little yeah, bit. It has to have these insanely mathematically impossible circumstances to work yeah. out. It, and I even got a call, was about a year and a half ago now, um, from another guy in, mil, in the military. He says, I've got this guy I'm arguing with online. He says about uh, this whole incident. He says, he says that a refueling plane came down above the helicopter, and that's what happened. And I said, first of all, why don't you find out if refueling planes were refueling helicopters at the time? This is a Huey. It didn't get refueled. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the type of helicopter to be refueled in air. Right. And I said, the closest place was Columbus, but I said, they refueled aircraft, not helicopters. And I said, as far as coming down above the helicopter, playing a joke on them, like the guy was also saying, seriously, you're going to come down to about a thousand, less than a thousand feet at night in a tanker aircraft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a recipe for disaster yeah. and, and loss. Exactly. Definitely. Exactly. Um, Article 15. So what, so the, we have the discharge, right, we have the coin incident. What, um, do, do you have any, like, I don't know, any stored stored in your repertoire of knowledge that like, around Cincinnati itself. Cause that's where we're all from. So that would kind of yeah. interest the hell out of me and us. I hope I don't know about these guys. You never know. <laughs> well, the one, Oh man, I didn't pull it up. Of course. Cause the one I actually found was one on audio tapes. It was one um, on the other side of the state, but there is actually one involving supposedly searchlights down in, um, Norwood. Okay. Norwood, Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Really close. This, this goes back longer than that. This goes back, I think, 1950s or something like that. Wow. Where they saw unusual lights down there. Now, one that we had come in to move on, um, probably about five, six years, six years ago now, was down one by Mechanicsburg. Okay. Oh, you told me about this one. Yeah, I remember yeah, this. Yeah, where the guy had, in this case, a um, he was driving down the country road at night, comes around a corner, and this is where you look at the, the weird things. He said he sees a hexagonal-shaped object setting on the road. Well, as he comes around, his headlights kind of illuminated. You can see it's hexagonal-shaped. And he says the thing rises up. It's got lights on it. starts going down the road. So he starts following it the best he can through these country roads. I forget what road it was on down there. And he follows it for so many miles before eventually, you know, he can't follow it any farther. Well, we put uh, investigators down there. We were looking for soil samples. They could see where stuff was kind of like knocked down. But you couldn't say whether it was from this object or what because we couldn't find any radiation on it. Uh, you couldn't find any marks from like pads 
of like something setting on the ground. Mm -hmm. But interestingly enough, we had another witness not far from there report a hexagonal shaped UFO. And that's a weird, <clears throat> to me, that's such a unique shape to report. Yeah. Right. And that and was, was within like the same time frame? That had to be about six years ago now, something like that. Okay. We had that one come in, but it was unique because we had more people down there just because of the fact of the potential landing, looking for right. radiation, other potential detectable things. Like scorch marks or something <laughs> like that? or Yeah, that we couldn't find. Okay. There was nothing along those lines. So we're talking about all the yeah. witnesses that saw the the coin helicopter. And the story that you told me that really stuck out to me was the Trumbull County one. Because it yeah. was so well documented by so many reputable witnesses. Now that's the one with the the police, the audio, right? Right, with the yeah. police. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And and that was one that was kind of wild because it actually it actually kind of originated from down in your area. Um, what happened is Kenny Kenny Young was that's a UFO happened. researcher. He was a researcher and he was looking into some cases and there's a, a guy uh, in this case called Leonard Stringfield. He was a UFO researcher who was, was really serious in the stuff. I mean, he had these mammoth archives that he was collecting. And one of the reports that he got wind of was a uh, reportedly a crashed UFO down closer to Dayton where reportedly the chief of police was involved, that this green object crashed in that area. So he's trying to do everything he can to dig it up. And the problem with Stringfield files is that MUFON has part of them now, but the other part the family has. And he didn't make everything public on stuff. You'd hear bits and pieces, but not everything. He'd put out these reports that had some stuff in, and that's where the guy got it from. So he thought, I'm going to see if I can dig up more stuff on this, you know? So you have to picture the time frame. He's looking in this, into this like in 1999. So we didn't have the internet access like we do now. So he goes up and he, he contacts directory assistance. And directory assistance, he says, they said, who are you looking for? He says, well, I'm looking for Liberty Police Department. Well, Liberty is down in that region in the Dayton area. So they give him the phone number and he calls it up and gets a hold of the dispatch. And they say, yeah, this is Liberty. Um, he says, I'd like to talk to you about this UFO incident that happened. Uh, and the dispatcher goes, oh, yeah, I was the dispatcher on duty that night. He goes, really? This is great. You know, he's That's thinking, oh, man, gold mine, baby. He goes, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about it. So the dispatcher started telling him about the incident. He's just making all of his notes and so forth. And he goes, I'm going on for two, work, two weeks researching stuff. But he says, the story's not adding up. He says. It's not the same story that Stringfield had out there. It's, it seems completely different. Well, then he finds out he didn't get connected to Liberty Police Department. He got connected to Liberty Township Police, which is by Youngstown, yeah. <laughs> the other corner of the state. Yeah. And he, he stumbled into a, another case, was, which was even more mind-blowing. So he, he, so he, he lucked out and then lucked out again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, come on. He needs, I could, he I needs to go so buy several more. lottery tickets. We call that a synchronicity yeah, in this, yeah. in this uh, yeah, area exactly. of study. So he writes up a report on this whole thing and puts it on his website. And he doesn't follow up anymore on it. You know, he just says, okay, this is what happened. Let's post it. And he says, oh, the clear blue sky gets an email that says, um, you know, we, we noticed, I noticed your report on the internet. And he goes, um, 
I work for the 911 call center in uh, that region. And he goes, we started digging through stuff. And I ask anybody if they ever heard of this whole thing because we're curious about it, you know. Well, nobody had heard initially about the UFO thing over by Youngstown. But he says, as we dug into the 911 tapes, we found it. And what they found was basically the tapes. And they they sent him a thing saying, yeah, we've got the tapes. I work for the call center. He verified that the guy worked for the call center, by the way. So he wasn't just being fed a, a line of bull. And he, he gets this letter saying, you know, be prepared. Um, you're going to be getting something in the mail. And he gets watches for the mail. And next thing you know, he gets this package and opens the package up. And here's a 911 tape. And what's really wild about the story is it was wrapped in basically paper. And what they'd done is they'd taken newspaper articles, clipped them out like a ransom note. And they wrote out this note that basically said, be prepared for the real thing. Oh you have the 911 tape. Now, now this is setting up to be some ho- almost Hollywood-esque yeah. stuff. This is <laughs> really setting this the is stage. A, this is, yeah, it, this is intense. Exactly. And he based um, the date on the newspaper clipping, which was like December 14th of 94. So I tell people this is probably the approximate date because you can't say for sure. But he's basically being warned that, you know, hey, be prepared. This is You're going to be shocked from what you hear. Well, what we're going to try to do, I've never done this before, so we're going to find out. The audio audio is available, by the way, in the internet. You can find it. There's like four different, three or four different sections, I think, of the tapes. We'll try to link. We'll yeah, link on our video yeah. for that. You can find them. And what I did is I cut down some of the segments because actually the tapes, we understand, were taken over a couple days. And you had UFOs primarily, they said, on one night, but actually it was over multiple nights. Oh, I didn't know that. In the area. And what you hear is this thing go from a, let's say, a, a call coming in by an individual to the dispatcher. And the dispatcher responding like, UFO? Mm-hmm, 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 you're right. And that's what they're thinking. But then as the calls progress, you see this whole big change like I was talking to Dylan about. You see the mood shift. You it, see the, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is not fun and games yeah. anymore. So let's see what happens. I'm going to, hopefully this will come through good. Yeah, did you get any reports or any objects in the air about 15 minutes ago? Mm, you know, somebody called in, but I'm not, in, I really don't know what that would be. She seems just so matter of fact. Yeah, you, you know, you, you can hear you can hear it at the end, especially when she's like, "Okay, we're gonna check it." You know what I mean? That reassuring, "Oh yeah, we're gonna look into it, honey," kind of thing. You know? Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to keep up another one. I'm sorry about that. Oh, so, so what he was describing didn't sound particularly 
UFO-esque, right? Because he said there's a flame out of the back. It's descending at an angle. But I guess yeah. as as we go along, these become more and more interesting, a right. little bit more. Uh, yeah, and some of the audio is kind of garbled. Mm-hmm. So I kind of edited the tapes down quite a bit. But you're right. I mean, he's on this area called Samson Drive. I went out and I had to check it out, too. And back in the 90s, basically you had houses about 100 feet or so back from the road. It was a nice area. Um, kind of more like a, a real a developing suburban area is what it, what it would really amount to back in the 90s. So he sees this thing and he calls it in. We had a couple other witnesses also calling in right after that, seeing a green light out on Samson Drive. Now, he said it kind of like looked like it almost had like a, a light coming off of it like a, an aircraft, like an engine exhaust. Other ones were reporting it just as like a green light that they were seeing out there. But they're saying it looked to be like 50 feet off the ground. So it was low, whatever it was. Really low. So, so I mean, here you get these calls coming in. She gets like three or four in a row. Matter of fact. Then... Um, she reaches out and contacts, you know, her, basically her, it had to be her captain. Okay. Bob, I swear to God, four calls in on an unidentified object over Liberty. Four calls. Four calls on an unidentified flying object. Come down, take a look. All right, we'll check it out. Do you want me to call the air base and see if there's anything in the area? We'll take a look. I swear to God. Hey, you want to hear the call? I'm out here to you. Uh, I believe you. No, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, so you you could definitely hear her uh, her, her her tone changing, her yeah. uh, her demeanor getting a little yeah, bit they've, more. They've into lost it. all their professional demeanor. Yeah, now and, it's like it's poise. like, hey, dude, you got to go check this shit out now. You got to, yeah, yeah. we, we need to do something now. That's so impressive. he goes out and he starts checking the area out. So also, you have to picture in the back of your mind. Not only is he getting that. But also all the other patrolmen on duty that night yeah. are hearing the same thing. Yeah. You also have people with scanners. Think about the time frame. Right. People, police scanners in their house. People, the news crew. Oh, yeah, yeah. With yeah. scanners. I, my, my dad was obsessed down. with police scanners. Yeah. And so I, I remember hearing every yeah. little thing that ever happened in my neighborhood. And it was cool, but I can only imagine people sitting there, you know, after dinner, or during dinner, just listening to something, you know, in their basement. And all of a sudden... Boom, UFOs. Get out in your front yard, you know? Well, I'm a news photographer yep. for a, li- a living, so I listen to the police scanner all night long, and I know if I heard <laughs> yeah, if right. I heard UFO on the police scanner, I'd be flooring it. To he's, grabbing, he's, he's grabbing his uh, jacket <laughs> and his camera, and he's, he's getting in the old Malibu and hitting it hard. That's right. So, so now you've progressed from like four or so phone calls to captains notified. He's going out starting to patrol this region around Samson Drive, looking for whatever it is. Next thing you know, she gets a call from Channel 33, which is a local news channel. Mm-hmm. So let me pop that one in. This really is like the order that it would really, like, oh, it, yeah, it happens yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. This is Stacy from 33. Hi, Stacy. How are you? I got one of you. <laughs> Did you really? This woman was almost. 
It's as interesting as it is kind of a little sad as, as you hear her going, it's probably a weather balloon. It's probably, And they're laughing about it. And I'm like, man, it it, it sucks. It, it, it's comical to not hear it. Well, it goes it back seriously. to exactly what we're talking about, where people are just like, they don't want to admit no, to they themselves. Don't, yeah, they do not. On, they don't want the on the radio, the inward acceptance of. I just saw some shit. They don't want right. that. They don't want that on. The and they kind of have like a responsibility, I guess, to the people calling in because they can't be like, "Yes, there's a UFO." Hide, um, hide your kids. Hide your yeah, wife. Yeah. It's abducting people out here. Get in your bathtub. <laughs> you know, yeah. lock the door. <laughs> put put on your tinfoil hat. Yeah, get ready. There's nothing in the in the in the the nine one one dispatch book that says like see, what to do in case of UFO. Yeah. See, to me, know? it's like in, in modern times is like I feel like we we've kind of built also the the kind of panic around UFOs now. Cause like most people have seen the movie signs, you know what oh, I mean? Man. And Seriously when that movie one. came out, I was like, I was just old <laughs> enough to still be freaked the hell out by it. And, uh, and so like my, my mind goes to if in the comical realm, my mind goes to Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, men in black, course, you know, of course. but then it also goes like signs, you know, swing, you're, you're fighting an alien in your living room with a baseball bat. <laughs> And to me, the but like to the recording, like you hear them joking about it. You know, you hear the people that their job is to report. You know what's going on, and everything. You hear them joking about it, but you hear the it's well, nervous the people, laughter. Yeah, you but you hear the people calling in. Mm-hmm. Their demeanor's not laughing. Right, they're not joking. Right, they they seem scared. Yeah, so they they are, and 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 you're, you're gonna love the next part. It it keeps picking up. Oh yeah. Because, I mean, here you now you've got, you've had um, people calling in the police department. You, you have people calling Channel 33 saying they're seeing something that's all in the same region. Well, she reaches out to air traffic control. This part is great. Oh, God, <laughs> You're going to love this. So let me see if I can pull that one up. This is a tiny bit longer clip. Avenue extension area. I could not give you any kind of uh, 
traffic, you know, direction that would help you know that area. Do you know of anything that should be in our airspace this time, close to the ground? Uh, right this now, is not a prank phone call, I swear. You can call me back I, uh, and verify. Look at the uh, radar scope, and uh, I go 60 miles diameter of Youngstown, and there is nothing out there. Oh, shit. Not even anything up high. Five, five accounts, five calls in on this. Yeah. Something's flying in our area that's low to the ground. Would you be able to monitor, like, a Cessna or something with a light on it? Oh, well, you know, if it was, do you mean visibly? No, uh, the with, with the radar. Uh, with the radar, uh, it depends on how high it is and where they are. You know, if it's uh, low radar coverage, so there's Okay, now I get a text to go here and tell them something, and I don't want to say you couldn't find anything. <laughs> is there any like, uh, Is exactly well, what we're talking we about. We want to give them answers. We want to tell them something. Just like that, the dispatcher had to change her pants. Yeah, you know. I just hope. I'm, I'm, like, I'm just. Oh gl- shit! Yeah, I'm just <laughs> glad he, they didn't hit him with the. You know, well, she hit the people with the weather balloon, the the old she tired weather balloon, the and then. But you know, you yeah. have the what's the other one? Swamp gas. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a bunch of stereotypical responses. Of bear, uh, bear. Yeah, it's a bear. It's yeah, a bear. that's my favorite one, and and we kind of use that Bigfoot. as a joke. We got yeah, we yeah, kind of use it exactly. as a joke. Because in Bigfoot. Every Bigfoot sighting's a bear. Everything's a bear. And and I don't know, Tom, have you ever seen a bear? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, well it could have been a Bigfoot. <laughs> you don't know. But <laughs> yeah. it was probably a bear. You know, I mean it's just it's comical. But I'm sure right, you it, with you being this heavily involved in you know, especially MUFON. I mean that I'm sure you have heard every single official excuse you can think of. And then some. So what's the – give me – entertain us for a second. What is the most colorful <laughs> excuse? I, I love it when people say, you know, oh, it, 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 it had to be Venus. <laughs> had to well, be then, then, a whole other planet. Like, <laughs> I'm like, don't you people pull up astronomy software? And I, I mean, I'm part of an astronomy group. I've got software I can replicate the sky going back to whatever time frame and it shows me what planets and everything should be there yeah, what where the placement of everything at that time did it move exactly. faster like, than uh, eight degrees per hour <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah venus zooming across the sky <laughs> I, mean, I mean you love venus and the swamp gas one was the killer years ago and really that one got blown out of proportion because alan heinig was with project blue book and he was just really they were searching for any 
possible explanation. Which I can understand. And when he says swamp gas, swamp gas could, but I think he knew in the back of his mind, no, it's not in this case, but that's what different ones ran with. It's like that in a, another one I've heard repeatedly in stories is is ball lightning. And, yeah. and ball light, I mean, and ball lightning alone is interesting as hell because it's this, it's a weather phenomenon that's not really it's kind of speculated to exist. It's, it's elusive. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a very elusive, right. hard thing to, we, we know it's possible, but catching it is, is a thing catching it in action, it's like catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah. So it's, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> they, they like to throw that excuse around and I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the UFO footage is, you know, amateur footage of a ball <laughs> lightning incident, but to, for them, for like people like this to throw around, like, the stereotypical excuses and to not take it serious, like to not take it seriously. That to me, like it, it bums me out. You're like, oh. They're just hunting for something. Yeah. To yeah. Grasp on. And, and the skeptics out there will, will keep hunting no matter what I think. Right. Yeah. Uh, if, if you explain away one of the reasons they are going to find another one to go after. Yeah. So it's, oh, it's a battle you can't win. I've learned. Yeah. yeah. So I don't worry about convincing the skeptics. I just present the information as I find it. And I'm like, this is what I roll with, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like, like in this case, I mean, she's talking to air traffic control and she's looking for an explanation to tell her supervisor. Right. Basically. Yeah. I don't want to get, well, I don't want to get in trouble for this one. Well, what happens as the, the whole thing progresses? Now you've got basically boots on the ground. You've got officers in a region calling in. They're trying to get as much information as possible because people are still seeing it out in this area. So how long so, did the, you said this, this incident was like over a couple days span, a couple days, but a lot of it, I think focused over like one night. Okay. okay. So when I'm putting these clips out there, they're, they're not like continuous, like minute after minute, yeah, okay. they're actually spread out time frame. And the problem is, is when the tape came out, you don't know what's already been edited. True. As yeah, far right. as time frames, it's already been cut around and stuff now, like was that. was the tape that the guy received, had that been messed with at all? or It didn't appear to be messed with, but again, you don't know exactly what segment you're looking at. And the other thing is, is they pointed out that you're they're monitoring a number of different radio frequencies at the same time. So you've got different departments in the area that have their transmissions going on and I, I think at this point they said there were roughly maybe about 14 different police department and officers aware of this whole thing going on. And different ones are, are contacting each other back and forth. I'm, I see something over here. I see something over there. And I think also what you've got is a little bit of, again, that term I used earlier, mass hysteria going on. Yeah, yeah. That now people are, are seeing more things because you've got officers going out by the air base. They're approaching security at the airbase saying, hey, do you know of anything going on out here? And the one that I want to play for you next is actually one of the officers that went out to the siding area. Oh, yeah. This one's good. And what he does is he talks about some of the stuff, but you don't know the whole thing that went on. So the officer's name is Toby Malero, and he was, he was still, to my knowledge, on duty in the area. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Oops. Fat fingers. Wrong one. Your phone. It happens. Bach, let's try again. Still Sanford Fifth Avenue. 
Here's what happened that they didn't talk about in the 911 tapes. Officer Malero was number 98. He's driving down Sampson Drive, and he sees a bright red light. Now, they portrayed it in some of the TV shows. There's been a couple of shows that featured this, UFO Hunters, and uh, another one did it. But again, like we were talking earlier, they took some, let's say, artistic liberties. As they do. In their description. He sees this bright red light that's so intense that he can't, like, look directly into it. It's also illuminating the whole area around there. This light is. The light comes over him. His cruiser dies. So the lights go out, engines off, everything. He's sitting there, seeing this light. The thing passes by. Then he's able to restart his car. The lights evidently come back up. Radio comes back up. And he's sitting there trying to rationalize what in the heck just happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, I. And that's yeah. why he said, I need a minute to get my senses back. Well, I can only imagine you You just that, that. That's the thing is when people have these experiences, you are seeing something. It's paranormal experiences in general. You're seeing something that you have your entire life been told. No, that, that doesn't exist. And it's kind of ineffable. Yeah. You don't have anything to compare yeah, it to. Yeah, there's no there's no connection you can make to any other experience in your life. Right. Is that something people report a lot? Um, I've heard people before talk about the actinic rays, or like a, like a welding light, almost like an arc light coming from a from a UFO, like so intense that it can actually damage their vision. Yeah, there's been some of them, and there's a couple of them that come to mind. Is one of the other ones that uh, we won't get into tonight, but there's one in Portage County. Mm-hmm. That um, when you see the movie Close Encounters, where Richard Dreyfus is chasing the, the UFO down the road, you see the bright light illuminating the whole road as it's going over, and he had him at the railroad crossing with the light. That actually is based on Portage County in 1966. That's where Spielberg got the idea from. Oh, wow. That yeah. two, office, two deputies were out in this object came at him from a distance, came over them as they're checking out a car. He illuminated the whole area. And the officer, one of the officers said that basically it was like looking at the gates of hell. The light was that intense wow. above. Yeah. Spielberg was from Dayton. Yeah. Spiel- yeah, yeah. I know, so I know Spielberg's a local boy. Heavily so. in- influenced by those yeah. stories. There's so many it's more, a- there's so many more things I could talk about. Uh, th- uh, there's so many more things I could talk about with you, Tom. Oh, I, we would definitely we we definitely try have to try to do an, another one because yeah. that just opens up another whole realm and it, it's just, it, that, that, that's what gets me when you dabble in the UFO stuff the 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 sheer amount there is to discuss is it's unlike any other I mean when you talk about you know the ghost stuff the 
the cryptid realm of stuff. There's there there there's I mean there's a lot, but you get into the UFO and you you start talking about globally, you're talking about millions and millions of reports just yeah. from every every yeah. walk of life, every aspect you can think of. For as and for as also, long as recorded history. Yeah, and yeah. it's it, it's I mean I I applaud, I applaud MUFON for what they've been doing trying to catalog it, but that is a I'm sure that you've experienced that's a daunting task oh, to try and, to just you know climbing Everest seems like a, a weekend vacation when uh, compared to col- compiling all the UFO reports. But, but that's that's nothing. The group I'm with uh, uh, of researchers, I've got I don't know about four terabytes of information stored in my one hard drive. And what what they're doing is is. You had UFO groups going, let's say, back to 1940s, 1950s, after the subject started becoming known. Groups forming around the state. You had some in southern Ohio. You had some up by me. The Cleveland group actually has been around since 1952. Wow. So, I mean, a long time. And you over the years, think about these people involved. Yeah. You've got some people getting UFO reports from individuals. They're, they're writing them on papers, notes, and stuff like that. And actually, one of the ones to create, first create a report, the report process, and, and Project Blue Book used it, was Battelle Institute down in Columbus. So, so Ohio's, Ohio's who, been involved for quite oh yeah, a while. They were, yeah, quite a while. And, and I told Dylan at Battelle Institute, by the way, used to really got their start in like metallurgy. Then they're more of like, I think you could describe more as a think tank group now. But they've been involved with UFOs for years down in that area. It's incredible. Something we but, need to look into. He was, yeah, yeah, he was telling me about that. It's incredible. But, but all these reports, think about this. I mean, over time, you've got people who die, people pass away, and if they don't know who to pass this stuff on to, it gets thrown in file 13. Yeah, right. So who knows how much research information, journals. I've got journals up the wazoo, and my, my garage is half UFO documents. And, 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 and that's kind old, of the, that, that's, a, that's a thing is like, I don't want to say it's become less, but I mean, uh, ufology, I mean, I think stuff's gotten more popular, but it's more popular just for the, the, the watching of it, the entertainment of it, the actual like boots on the ground, people actively involved in it has, from what I've seen kind of started dropping off is when, when, like when we would go to our Bigfoot events, you would see older folks, not many people my age at the time in there. And that's what, you know, you get, you kind of get, especially when I was involved, you kind of get, you know, hazed a little bit coming into mm-hmm. it. But then, you know, cause they were like, Oh, we don't get a lot of new members. we got to have fun. You people know? are so, interested, but not involved. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I, I feel like that, that has got to change. And I, I, that would be a cool kind of thing for us. I think that's kind of a goal we haven't really acknowledged is to like, this stuff has to get out more into the mainstream. It has to be talked about more. It has to actively be put out there more because like for people like you, like you're saying you got half a garage, but you got terabytes of information. There is, and that's just you, you know what I mean? And that's nothing. The the yeah. group I'm with, yeah. uh, the one individual had a basement of his house mm-hmm. that was not small. It was like an old century home with an addition that was full. Just that was full. And by the way, it's, it's a lot of it. I think is some of the stuff is being not of all of his stuff, but some of the other stuff, research stuff is being sent to a guy out in, um, 
New Mexico area, Dave Marler, who's a great researcher. Uh, he's putting up whole sections just to store this stuff because, again, if, if nobody takes it, what's going to happen to it? And there's so much resource material there. Yeah. Just like the coin tapes. I found the coin tapes in the, in the research group I'm with. One of the guys had them in his collection. He shared them with me. And, and, uh, yeah. When I was looking for correlating cases of that coin case, a friend of mine in the, in the astronomy group told me, he says, you know, back in the 1980s, I think it was, he says, I turned a report into some guy at a, at a shopping mall. The guy had a UFO display. He was collecting reports. So I told him about, my, about seeing the UFO back then. I went through my archives and I found his report because the person who originally took it, his stuff got passed down to me and other researchers. And here was that case. And I said, here it is. There's my friend's name along with several others. So, I mean, it's good to have this archival material like yeah, that. And, it, and it's, it's, it's crucial to the, really to the well being of the whole study itself. It, it's, it's yeah. crucial to keep, almost in a sense of to to kind of remember where you came from kind of thing you know you, we have to mm-hmm. remember the starting points of this whole thing because like you said like in the Cleveland area, you said it started in what 1952 yeah and 1952. so that to me that is a impressive amount of time that people have been you know willingly and openly looking into this these incidents you know it's, it's important it's, to digitize those documents yeah, exactly. and make a database stuff, that's searchable yeah, stuff that needs to be to be yeah. preserved because and, that's that's as much to me as much history as anything else. Mm-hmm. Right, and and that's that's why I like to collect this stuff and then pass on what I've got because I digitized a lot of stuff I have mm-hmm. and passed it on to the other group on there these old reports and stuff. Right, because maybe somebody will find some value in them like I did. Oh, absolutely, and that's it. It has to be it has to be preserved, you know, because we got to look back on it and laugh when you know the aliens take over the world and. Yeah. They're going to be like, we were telling you the whole time. You didn't see it. Somebody's yeah. got to be like, hey, we tried to warn you. <laughs> Told you. Exactly. I mean, yeah, here's here's the Randy Quaid character in Independence Day, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you. Living in his RV out in the desert being like, I told you guys. Uh, I told you guys. But getting back to that, that Ravenna case, though, I mean, you had a deputy. Here he sees his things up close. He freaks out. He gets his senses. And, and when you start listening more and more of the tapes, there are police officers out by the um, airport again. They're talking to air, the air traffic controllers. They're, they're still trying to find explanations. Now, some of the guys are seeing stars because I pull up my astronomy software. And where they're describing seeing like star-like lights at, you had Cirrus and Vega on that same night. So I think some of that stuff is carrying over. But nonetheless, when you see stuff like the officer said, he even saw something 50 feet off the ground. Here you've got, to me, somebody who's, you know, a trained observer mm-hmm. who should be able to maintain his composure in a situation like this. That he's got to get some time out to get himself back yeah, together. Yeah. When, when someone that is that is used to that line of work asks for a moment, you know, it's yeah, so, something something rather serious happened. Yeah. yeah. So that, to and, me, and it's, and it, 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 I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't know if that guy's still around to talk to, but that would be one hell of an interview to have. He's, he's talk. on duty. Oh, is that the yeah. one that's still on duty? Yeah. He's on duty over to my knowledge. Cause I was a, um, 
executive director at the university uh, before I retired. And I'm going in our lobby the one day, uh, passing through our lobby, and I see these gumball machines out there. I'm like, who the heck put these gumball machines out there, you know? And uh, my secretary goes, well, they belong to um, some policeman. Really? She goes, yeah, here's his card. <laughs> it's the guy. <laughs> and I could never corner him. And I had to call a couple times to the, the police department over there, and I couldn't get a hold of him. They probably said there's probably a UFO guy on the line or something like right, that, you know. Yeah. But, but you know, I would like to sit down and talk to him and filter out, you know, the difference between fact and fiction on what's been presented on some of the shows and fill in questions that I have personally about the whole thing. Absolutely. Because one of the things, I'll just, I'll just play one more tiny clip just to kind of finish this one up for you. Sure. But this is one where it goes back to dispatch. I think it's kind of a good way to sum it up. That here she's had these calls coming in all this time. And she's got to figure out what to do with all this stuff. <laughs> well, I logged it. I know this is coming back up. I know everybody and their brother's going to be calling tomorrow. <laughs> And I'm like, I logged it. And I saw it. Oh, my God. No, I didn't like you saw it. But you know what? Nobody call on that tape. We're all going to get our asses shut. You watch federal government will come on here and go, okay, we're going all little green men, Santa Claus, flying Christmas tree, all this shit on the channel. We're all going to get our asses in a grinder. Maybe I want to. <laughs> so, I don't know. If it was a UFO, it's logged, you know? <laughs> I think that's kind of a good she, way to sum it up. Yeah, at, least she, hands up. <laughs> at least she kept her humor. She just threw her hands up. She like, was like, whatever, I'm what going to log is. it under flying Christmas tree. Yeah. She's like, I'm not paid enough for this. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you've got, and these are just a few events we've talked about tonight, you know. There's so many around the country that when you start looking at them, uh, some I can say, yeah, there's been a couple major, major cases. That, no, I think there's an explanation behind it. But there's other ones when you start digging into it. I'm like, I think there's way more here than what is on the surface. Because, like, you know, by being involved in paranormal, you've probably talked to witnesses out there about Bigfoot, bears, you know, know, the bears. And you start talking about one event and you find out that there's actually something that happened to them that's even way more interesting than something that they're talking about right then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you about this other experience I had. You get, that's the thing is you get, once you get them to open up about one small thing, I I feel it, it, it bridges that level of trust. And then they're like, Oh, well here's this other thing. Well, it seems like some people just kind of attract things like that. Some people are more susceptible to this. No, there's definitely, there seems to be people like that just tend to experience weird shit. And that's just the way it seems that their life has played out. You see people that have like, um, that seem to gravitate or or seem to have this pool of weird happenings in their life. And like the, we've had, I know back we we've, I've talked to people before that were like, Oh, they've seen, seen tons of lights in the sky. They've seen this and this, and you don't know what they've truly seen, but then you have people like with the ghost stuff, they've had numerous mm-hmm. paranormal encounters, the, uh, the Bigfoot stuff, they've had numerous things happen. And I mean, yeah, I don't, you should never trust blindly take it for a grain of salt, but you can, I, I, I don't, you know, I know for me, at least I can, you can tell when someone's being sincere and when it, when you can, you get that feeling of this, this person is not trying to, pull the wool over my eyes and lie to me and tell me stories. They, these people were, 
affected by what they experienced and what they've continued yeah. to experience. Yeah. And it, it's, it, 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 there's, there's, there's that level of, there's that level of weird to it, man. And everything there's in everything paranormal. And I use that, that blanket term, but everything paranormal, there's, you, you have people in the, in the field that are just, that are, that seem to be in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. frequently. And is yeah. that, is that just, you know, a chance? Is that just, you know, lucky circum or lucky or unlucky circumstance? Or is mm-hmm. there a, something behind it? Like with people that, you know, like it's somewhat like abduction cases, people, you know, seem to be almost targeted for a reason starts at childhood and continues through their whole life. So you have to think if there, is there reasons that, you know, we do not understand currently that, that caused that, you know, that have led to that. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a vast thing to kind of wrap your head around. It's a, it's a very big subject. Well, that's something that uh, I told Dylan about that, you know, what also got me reinterested in the whole subject uh, of UFOs years ago is because I had my own encounters back in the 1960s. This is the origin and story that I was telling you about. The origin of Thomas. <laughs> I love this your gets, story, this gets, Yeah, this gets lengthy, by the way. <laughs> if you really got into the whole thing, this would be a, a whole nother show of where it all came from. Is this from, what I, I hear? Here's a little bit cryptid-based? Well, yeah, this is the one that that you know it, it kind of shocked me when it came back around yeah uh, just kind of make it short um i didn't live in ohio my whole life i lived in south carolina for about five years um we moved down here when my family was i think i was like in the, the fifth grade something like that and we lived in two different areas and, and they're both out in the rural areas uh the second one we lived at was out in a rural area where you had peach orchards all around you you had peach orchards, you had katsu vines, which is a heavy foliage on the ground, that there's no way you can run through that crap, you know? Well, um, we had a few houses around us, and, and I made friends with a, a kid across the street. He was basically two years ahead of me um, in school. We hung out together because there's, well, there was a whole lot around here. And we developed some habits. One is, one is hunting. Yeah. And I used the term loosely <laughs> hunting, hunting was basically going out in the woods with shotguns and killing abandoned Frigidaire refrigerators. Uh, anything that didn't yeah. move, that was an abandoned appliance, abandoned car. That's what we shot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we didn't kill animals. We just shot up anything we could find. It's a wild Maytag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't let it get away. <laughs> Been tracking it for hours. Look out. It's coming right for it's us. It's coming right for us. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Although one day I forgot to tell you, Dylan, I, we, I'm going through this uh, peach orchard and I stop and I, and my, I look down and there's a rabbit between my feet oh, God. and my buddy says, shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> Six inches away from a, a 12 gauge. Wasn't much, right. wasn't much rabbit left. I'm not going to roll those dice. No, <laughs> I, I killed the rabbit and dug its grave in the same shot. No, that, that rabbit lived to see another day. It ran off and I couldn't quit laughing afterwards. You'd be wearing that but, rabbit. Uh, <laughs> But we're going out to this, the peach orchards, and we go out to the woods uh, deeper and deeper. It was on a Sunday afternoon because there's a bright, bright sky out, uh, bright sunny sky, perfectly clear. We're going back into the woods, and we're going deeper and deeper, just basically seeing, just killing time. As we get way back in the woods, I don't know how far we got back in the woods at this point, 
Um, he's 15, I'm 13. He looked at me and says, you know, I say anything wrong. What are you talking about, man? He goes, listen. I said, I don't hear anything. He goes, that's the problem, man. I don't hear nothing. So, I mean, we start listening and then you don't hear birds. You don't hear squirrels, anything that would normally be out. There's nothing. It's dead silent. And he starts walking deeper and deeper into the woods. And we're back in there. He goes, you know, there's a swamp willy back here, don't you? Swamp willy? What the hell talking about, swamp willy? And he's basically describing Bigfoot. So in my mind, I'm thinking campfire story. He's trying to scare the heck out of me, you know? I said, I ain't afraid of no swamp willy, man. I got a 12 gauge. I'll take its ass down, you know? Reality is I dropped a gun, ran out of the woods. Exactly. <laughs> you know? But we get farther back in the woods, and, and instead of going out of the woods, I mean, he's getting scared. He's really getting terrified. And I'm watching his body language, and he's, he's picking his pace up. He's starting to run, not walking. But he's going deeper into the woods and not away from the woods. Well, I look up at the same time, and I see a UFO hovering above us. This was treetop height, silver disc that looked, it wasn't like an egg but more like rounded edges, not like a, like two dishes together. Not like that, but it's more like rounded all the way around the edge. And I'm looking up at this thing and it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. But we keep walking deeper into the woods and I never tell him to look up. He's going deeper. He's picking his pace up. I'm watching this UFO follow us. I'm looking up, looking down, looking up, looking down. It's following us as we're going deeper into the woods. Eventually, get to the point, I don't know why, but it, I, I, I just didn't see the object anymore. It was gone. We get out to a road, if that's what you want to call it. Actually, it's a dirt road that had like some oil sprayed on it to keep the dirt down. That's how rural the area was. Yeah, that's, that's, that's some old school methods right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Old school methods. We're walking back, and he says, there's a big-ass white owl in front of us. I said, what are you talking about, a white owl, man? He said... And he holds his arm out like at four feet high, and he says, it was this tall standing in front of us. I said, I didn't see no owl. Are you crazy, man? I didn't see no owl. There was a white owl standing in front of us, man. And he couldn't stop. Over and over and over, as we're walking back this road, the whole way back, he's talking about the white owl. That totally freaked him out. He says, that big black eyes, man, was standing right in front of us. Well, I never told him about the UFO that was hovering above us the whole time. I never said a word, never, ever mentioned that to him. We eventually get back to the house, our houses, and he's like, yeah, there's this big white owl. Well, I didn't think a whole lot about it, but it was after that time frame I started having in very intense bouts of sleep paralysis. Matter of fact, they actually started right before that, but they really intensified sleep paralysis, which is a almost like out-of-body experiences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... I kind of blew the whole thing off. I just kind of forgot about it. Never. But then, I don't know if I told you about the, did I tell you about the car incident, Dylan? Yeah, yeah, you did. But for, these We're, guys haven't heard it. Yeah, we have this car that starts coming down, the road, that starts pulling in my drive every night. Now, he lived across from me. This car would pull in my drive every night, and back then you could tell cars apart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that is a Ford. That's not just a Ford. That's a Ford Galaxy, about a 1966. It's pulling it's pulling into my drive, shining the lights right in my house every night. 
Well, my, my mother, who was there, my dad worked a lot of nights. She wouldn't call the police. She wouldn't call the sheriff. My buddy, his dad actually worked in corrections, but they never did anything. And he even came over to my house. We were outside a few nights when the thing actually pulled in to shine its light up. We're standing right in the front yard. Well, we'd do the same thing. Shine its lights, look at us, back, wait, and take off. Well, shortly after that time frame, we decided to walk up and get a, a soda one night. Well, the, the gas station is about a half mile up the road. Here it's at night. Uh, no moonlight. I was just all starlight. We get up there. We get some sodas. We're walking back down this dirt road, basically. And we hear a car coming behind us. Turn around. No headlights. But we can see a silhouette of a car. So we run off into the peach orchard, getting off the road as far as we can, go into the peach orchard, and the car swerves towards us, up in as far as it can get to the peach orchard. Unless it went to the tree, it can't, it can't go any farther in, so it's got to swerve back onto the road and takes off. Never saw it again that night, but it, it came after us that night. Now, you could say, ah, probably some drunks out, you know, drinking beer or something like that, headlights off, just, you know, whatever. I mean, we used to go out hunting, sitting on the front of cars. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Headlights on with the dogs out. We had beagles. We'd let try to chase rabbits up, which we never shot (laughs) because they moved. (laughs) We were born in the wrong time, boys. (laughs) But, you know, we was not long after that time as my, my dad transferred from the company in South Carolina. We moved back to Ohio. Um, the sleep paralysis still kept staying there. I had tons more stuff we can't get into happening at the same time. And I always wondered what happened to my buddy after that. I tried to track him down from years and eventually, uh, it was only about a month ago. Now I tracked, tracked him down. He died two years after, uh, we moved and he was killed by a car. Wow. Yeah. Heavy. Well, then if you want to if we want to leave it as a mystery, I have something an experience that ties with the whole Al thing ties kind of into that. If we want to leave that for pot, I don't know time you open to a part two eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it's so a great we'll place leave it to on a, end. Leave where it on a good began. little cliffhanger, and uh, yeah, let's yeah, end it where it. you began. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. It was yeah. it was it was an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. I had a blast. Thank you so you much. are definitely one of the most interesting people i've ever had the pleasure of talking to no doubt very much yeah. i appreciate that tell my ex-wife that would you <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure to tag her yeah we'll tag yeah. her in it we'll send it we'll send her the video but uh yeah man absolutely thank you thank you thank you for this i mean hell of a time hell of a ride man great, yeah great time. Oh, coming away with a lot of things that we need to look at yeah that just uh I'm humbled by my ignorance on the yeah, subject oh yeah exactly yeah, right. you, go, you go man there's I so much know. i can learn from you guys too because we get the we also get cryptid stuff occasionally come into mufon oh let us know we love that we love that stuff too we love we're, we're into it man into it all but yeah it was, and, I, been and i've been down in your regions like salt fork yeah. oh yeah doing investigations down there something in the water i've got down another there. one that right I'm working on down in, uh, uh, it's actually down farther than that, but it's also down in Bigfoot and Grassman territory. Oh, yeah. oh here we go. Let's see. That's kind of our, uh, yeah, that's kind of our new, uh, kind of our new obsession a little bit. We're, uh, we're dabbling heavy into other things. You know, we're, we're, I don't know. We've been, I don't know. I don't want to give too much away, but we've been, we've, we've been, we've been pretty busy. So yeah. we'll just say that. 
We've been hitting the, the ghost stuff pretty hard. Yeah, we've been hitting the ghost yeah. stuff hard, and that'll turn. Much so. That'll come to fruition here in the future. So, but definitely this this is this is great, man. Thank you, thank you so much for doing this with us. No problem. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to attend the next uh, MUFON event. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll have to show up. And, I don't know when the next one's going to be. We've been holding off because of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, kind of works for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about doing a Zoom conference. That'd be good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Together. yeah. We can shout out to our limited following. Just let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll plug yeah, anything you got. Yeah, we'll plug, we'll plug knows, the video. And... This honestly could be the episode that breaks it through. Yeah, that's right. We got so much good content tonight. This is uh, it, it could be the one that puts it under, too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go like, man, that damn Tom guy, he really tagged yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tom. No problem. Until next time. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, man.